do not give financial, legal, medical or any kind of advice. Opinions are their own. This broadcast contains foul language and dangerous ideas. If you need a trigger warning you are in the wrong place. Now enjoy the show. Dear partners and friends of What the fuck? Form, a very cordial welcome. The WTF Forum is a decentralized broadcast network with no governing body of any right, kind so- and is produced and distributed by a loosely affiliated ever-growing network of rogue independent content creators. This forum does not, will not, and shall not have any one location, feed, platform, or channel, but shall be shared and multiplied as nature dictates. If any listener of the following proceedings finds themselves offended, they will be asked kindly to go fuck themselves. Welcome to the forum. Without the great Michael Whistler, author of Hey Duke 2029. Go check that out and find Welcome it at itty-bitty.easypeasy.tips. Uh, but without legal, Mike, we got a great cast of What the Fuckers, and I forgot to and make that ideas. not repeat. Sorry, hold on, I'm fixing that. <laughs> Everything's yeah. laggy right now. I am on uh, I'm on truck stop Wi-Fi, so everything wants to lag on me. Um, but hopefully we can have a great show. Anyway... Uh, let's kick it into introductions, and um, I I will pass it to our uh, our newest guest, uh, Everyman. How you doing tonight, bud? I'm doing really well, really well. Happy to be here. Um, I'm just a guy, hence the name. So uh, pass it to Stella. <laughs> hey, always good to be here. Um, I'm Stella Q from Union of the Unknowns, and the occasional little stint on. Uh, propaganda report over to you drew uh drew missing from your missing the point podcast um yeah happy to be here but ando why are we lagging so much i thought america was a first world nation i thought you'd be bathed in 5g radiation right now and everything be fantastic it's not that way in the appalachian mountains here so uh yeah you heard wrong (laughs) the way it is yeah you're getting some sasquatch interference then and over to rachel (laughs) Hey, I'm Rachel D. Tobias on Twitter. Thanks for having me on, Andy. And uh, you're only getting bad Wi-Fi because you said Appalachians instead of Appalachians or something. <laughs> you t- you said it with too many teeth. <laughs> All right. Should have got an Appalando. The Drizzle. That's right. I am the Drizzle host of grand theft world liberty radio and uh i'm i'm in the right spot i think because i'm just wondering what the hell's going on but i'm checking out how to screen share we'll see if i can understand it i don't know what do you think rose hey everyone i'm the rose pinochet on my six millionth and one account. <laughs> although, although the Kali Yuga's back, my original account has been restored, which probably explains all the interference.
Fido. Okay. All well, right. There's also, I'm having uh, I'm having some minor technical difficulties on my end. I guess that's just the night for it. <laughs> I am Phytophiliac. Um, you can hear my music on Bandcamp. It is phytophiliac.bandcamp.com, and it's available on major streaming platforms. Awesome. Thanks, Fido. Uh, so um, let's kick it off. I was going to, uh, I, I've asked around about the various ideas on topics tonight, and we've got a few. Um, but Rachel has a really good one. Let's uh, let's kick it off with that. What do you think? Awesome. All right. So I was thinking a really good topic for people to mull over was family traditions, such as, you know, things that come from your family. Is it something that you came up with? Is it something that you do with, you know, a group of friends? And I know, you know, we, we love going over our dystopian readings and everything, but I thought it'd just be kind of cute and nice and special to focus on something positive like that. Well, uh, I have been subject to the, uh, to the rootless kind of uh, mind virus. I guess uh, everybody that's probably Gen X and younger has been exposed to this terrible thing. And I don't think that I have anything that I would consider unique to my family. I just remember the coolest thing when we were young was uh, was going to the um, going to the backyard and gathering uh, up uh, thousands of blackberries and making blackberry pie and blackberry cobbler and, and just a variety of things with blackberries because we had them in abundance in my yard back then. So, um, I'm trying to think of some other things, but I haven't really come up with anything. Let's go back around the circle and, and start with, uh, with every man. Have you, uh, have you any unique family traditions or just family traditions that, that stand out to you? Uh, wow. Um, you know, I didn't, I didn't really give it any thought. Um, <clears throat> ah, geez. Um, I guess uh, for us growing up, I mean, for my family, Christmas was always huge because that was, that's what my dad wanted. <laughs> and that just sadly um, is not really the case anymore. My dad passed away unexpectedly in 2014, and the way we kind of did Christmas went away with him. So uh, uh, sorry to be a bummer. <laughs> I guess the other thing that comes to mind is something that we still do to this very day is we host Euchre parties. Anybody in here know how to play Euchre? You ever heard of the card game Euchre? Show of hands, who's seen, who knows how to play Euchre? Wow, I've heard Steve. of it. Yeah. See, it's fucking weird. <laughs> it's a it. weird cliche Midwest game. And uh, we host a monthly party here at the house. My wife and I do. We still do that to this day. We kind of take the summer off a little bit because people are busy. But throughout the fall and all winter long and into the spring, we host the Euchre party. So we've been doing that for years. Ah, okay. I guess I'm next. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, yeah, as traditions go, pretty much next to nothing. Um, I can only go on memories, really. And obviously, I guess Christmas seems to come to mind as probably the most traditional thing in my family. Um it's sort of being in Australia, it never made a lot of sense to me that 
on in the middle of summer, and it's usually a <laughs> bloody hot day, um, the traditions of the old baked dinner seemed to stick around, which was very much the English traditions, which is, you know, in England, it was generally probably snowing on Christmas Day and it was cold and to have the oven going and all that was wonderful. But I just, you know, as God bless her heart, my grandmother, you know, she she worked really hard <laughs> Christmas Day and she'd be walking around, you know, mopping, mopping the sweat off her face and her brow as she's over the hot oven with a, a big baked chook that she could hardly get out of the oven. You know, 33, 35 degrees Celsius. <laughs> um, so, you know, again, God bless her. And, you know, we'd sit around the, the beautiful table that generally we weren't really meant to sit around any other time of the year. Um, careful of the table. Don't scratch the table, you know. Uh, but we actually got to sit around it. So, um, and I remember the spread, uh, you know. I mean, there was definitely a, a lovely warm family thing and often followed by an argument. Um, so <laughs> there was that. And, um, yeah, no, I don't really practice Christmas myself, but I do, I must admit, now that my nan's gone and uh, we no longer do that, I, it is fond memories to look back on, but I don't continue them myself. I actually don't really celebrate Christmas at all, personally. It's just another day because I don't believe it's really based around what it's actually presented as, but that's just me. And I don't deter anyone else from celebrating it. Drew? Um, yeah. Similar to Stella, the traditions in my family are a bit skew if because we live in Australia and my mum's a fresh off the boat Scott. So we grew up with a lot of Scottish traditions in our household. Uh, my dad's uh, uh, Australian from the, the farmers that first came out here on the second fleet. So he's got a lot of traditions that are built around type of like the, what you consider to be frontier type of life, hunting, fishing, that type of a thing. And when we look at like the same conversations you said, Stella, about Christmas and how it doesn't really line up, we have our own traditions with our family, heaps of cousins. So on Christmas Day, naturally being hot, we would have massive water fights. We'd have build slip and slides, have sprinklers out, that that whole thing. It became uh, more of a, a cooling off to the, uh, the roast dinners that you're about to eat that would bring your core temperature back up again. Uh, yeah, but apart from that, it's I think it's the usual type of thing you see with uh, working class young white fellas is that the other tradition is that you have to hold the torch while your dad works on the car and swears at you for not holding it in the right spot. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. That's a classic. Oh, yeah. That's me. Yeah, there'd often be a barbecue involved um, in later years when people sort of came to their senses and stopped trying to be English. <laughs> so it sort of switched to the, the more sensible barbecue in the beach or something. Barbecue, that beach and a beer. <laughs> that hasn't stopped at our end. It's a roast chook, turkey, potatoes, the whole the whole kit and caboodle. How about you, Rachel? All right. So I was raised religious Jewish. And for some of this, I had to reach out to my sister, who's eight years older than me because there were certain things I couldn't quite remember and certain things I do. So I've got my little show notes. Um, so the first thing was we would celebrate Rosh Hashanah, which is the Jewish New Year. And my mom would make stuffed cabbage leaves with meat, which is a traditional Ashkenazi dish. My grandparents would usually host Passover. And I was too young to remember this, but my grandma tried to make those awful Passover dishes uh, where you, you have to go around a Seder plate she would try to pass them off as appetizers. So when you had to eat eggs or something like that, she would make deviled eggs. You had to serve parsley, she would make a, a parsley salad. <laughs> so my sister had to fill me in on that one. For Thanksgiving day, my dad let, or my grandpa liked to watch football. 
that was a thing. Um, growing up, I would light Friday night Shabbos candles with my mom and all the women would get together and, and do that. And then apparently, so my grandma was very big into playing cards. And so on Sundays, we would go to her place. She would serve iced tea and play cards. And now my mom hosts Sundays for my, ne for my nephew out in Buffalo, upstate New York, where I'm from. Um, this was a big deal. And I remember this every year. So I thought this was a vacation until years later. And I realized this is not a vacation. We would all, I come from a big family. So there's seven total. So I've number four to five siblings, we would pile into like the van and drive the nine or so hours to Long Island, crash my aunt and uncle and eat kosher Chinese food. And that was like a really big deal. And I would sleep on the floor of the basement of my aunt and uncle's by the dryer. And I thought it was like the best thing ever <laughs> for a very long time. I thought that was like an amazing vacation. I did not realize that was like Disney World on a budget. Um, I have a couple of, of college tradition things. We had Dungeons and Dragons campaigns. We had Friendsgivings, things like that. We would go to the bars when college was completely empty and there were only like awesome townies. Um, and then I have a couple of honorable mentions. Whenever I would prep um, like chicken with my mom when I was really little, she told me that if I ate the chicken skin, I'd be able to fly. Uh, <laughs> that was just something I recall. I don't know why she did that. And thank God I didn't follow through. Um, other honorable mentions, I'm wrapping this up. She's, my mom used to cut our hair in the backyard. Um, she used to make greasy potatoes on Fridays. We used to have a big uh, bag of like melted birthday candles we would reuse <laughs> and then turn numbers around and do stuff like that. We used to wrap um, gifts in like Sunday comics that were usually, you know, the colored Sunday comics. So it was like fancy versus the regular Sunday comics. And then my sister told me about this. There was something called the snuggle buggle because it was so cold in Buffalo that she said, it's when you wrap yourself up like a taco in your blanket in winter and tuck the corners in and around your feet and your ears to stay warm. We used to do that to help you and my little brother when you were little at night. So that was, you know, some some cute family traditions. And then some things that I personally love is I love celebrating Christmas and I love Halloween. And I know that those are very cliche, but those are some things that that I kind of celebrate. So going on to um, I think it's Grand Theft or something. Um, all right. Well, I'm going to pass on the family thing, but. Ando, uh, I think uh, I've been able to figure out how the screen share thing works, maybe. Uh, oh, I have I the video downloaded, so whenever the time comes, we can try it. Okay, cool. That's great. All right. Cool. Rachel, can I ask you a quick question? Does yeah, the is, is the whole kosher Chinese food, is that the going joke that that's the traditional national food of American Jews? Yeah, because it was such a big deal because you couldn't get it in Buffalo where I'm from originally. So going to Long Island, it was like, oh my God, you could get the kosher version of, of everything. And it was just like really, really special. May not I ask to be a question? Mistaken, sorry, not to be mistaken with going to a Chinese restaurant on Thanksgiving or Christmas. 
Uh, I just want to ask, I don't know if this is an Aussie thing and I don't know if this is sensitive, so I do, uh, disclaimer, I do apologise in advance if it is. Um, you know the bottom bit of the chicken, or the tail, I suppose? Which we call it the Pope's nose. Do you guys call it that? Is that rude? Is that, Who gets the Pope's nose? I mean, if you can eat, if you can fly after eating chicken skin, what happens when you eat the Pope's nose? <laughs> <laughs> You guys would call, I think, call it I think I can answer that. So the Pope's nose is akin to like Fat Tuesday when you get like the baby Jesus. So you just got to host the next dinner. <laughs> when you eat the Pope's nose, you get this letter in the mail where it says it's from the Pope. And it says, you ate my nose. I have to send you my hat. And then you get the hat in the mail. What is it like the Santa Claus with Tim Allen where you put his clothes on, you have to become the new Pope? Is that what's happening now? <laughs> yes. Thank you for clearing that up. That's how the Pope is actually selected every every so often. In Australia, though, you guys don't know this, but there's there's an Australian Pope, and it's just so esoteric that no one actually knows it. He <laughs> <laughs> oh, might be on this podcast right now. <laughs> <laughs> it's literally Fido. Um, <laughs> that's why we can't see her. Um, so I just want to make a comment. Um, I cut out. No, I said my secret is out. Oh, yeah. <laughs> sorry. I'm sorry to uh, divulge it, but I, I had to. I had to. I couldn't hold it in any longer. Um, I just want to make a comment that it's really sad to me that I have some of, you know, my close friends on the forum and a lot of people that I interact, whether it's in the group chat or, you know, in Stella's case, I've been on the podcast and I very much enjoy her commentary that we don't speak about family traditions. It's really hard for all of us thus far to recall family traditions. But if we said, oh, you guys remember the ghost of Kiev, everyone would be like, yes, that's my favorite family tradition, right? It's just, it really just shows you um, how imbued we are with politics and all of like just the goy slop infotainment and media. And it, it really, really hurts. Um, it's really why I, I, I like to make my own traditions. Like Andy and I have a tradition. It's called pickles. <laughs> Every time Andy visits. It's a wonderful tradition. Pickles. Right. Um, Rachel and I have a tradition where I scared the shit out of her. <laughs> Um, so cause she's in New York and I'm in Texas, um, we can't do the same things that we'd like to do. So it's one time when she was visiting me, I was like, Rach, we could do face masks. And she's like, what? <laughs> and this was like last year or, or this year. I was like, yeah, you know, like the cloth masks, I got hello kitty cloth masks. And like, I, I understand like Rachel's panic, especially cause I left New York in 2020, but homegirl was still there. She's like, what? I was like, yeah, you know, like a cloth mask you put on yourself. And she's like, what? And then I'm like, no, 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 like a Hello Kitty face mask. Like, like, like we skin her mask, her face and put it on ourselves, you know, like adrenochrome to make like a beauty mask. And she's like, okay, there she is. We're back. But it's, it's just so important to create traditions, you know, inside jokes, um, pretty much treat the people who love you like family. Um, I, 
I guess like I do recall traditions between my mom and my sister and I, and obviously it's around Christmas. We don't really celebrate Christmas because um, we are pagan inclined. Um, but every time we we would put up the tree, right, the Christmas tree, um, we would have a bunch of fairies and we would honor it and we would just put presents underneath the tree. And that's always, you know, that's always been lovely. But it's kind of like your own love language with your family every time I would come visit my mom and I would stay over on a Sunday I'd always make sure to make like a giant Sunday brunch because my mom does not cook at all like our family traditions are like my mom fucking up the cooking and I'm like mom please we beg you stop trying like the, you're about to Jewish lightning this whole house like it's not okay relax um and I think that tradition started when when my parents um when they got married, uh, on their first night, my mom, so my dad uh, was studying to be a doctor back in Russia. And my mom was like, I want to surprise my husband. So she tried to make him an apple pie and ended up burning like the pie, <laughs> the oven. <laughs> and he comes back as like a smoke show. But, um, and the smoke show is not my mom. It's just the fucked up apple pie. <laughs> How about you, Fido? Uh, as far as family traditions go, I don't think that we have anything really beyond like the typical um, major holidays, like uh, Christmas and Thanksgiving. Christmas and Thanksgiving, I think, have here recently have been like the biggest traditions that we've had lately. Just um, going over and eating and um, just enjoying each other's company, and then falling asleep on the couch, watching a ball game or something. Um, it's like coma central after, <laughs> after the meal. But um, as our, as the older generation of our family has started to pass away, a lot of the traditions have started going with them. And um, I was actually, when the, when the topic was brought up, I, I was, I've been racking my brain this whole time trying to think of anything that we still do that is, you know, unique or different and um really i mean there's i have a tradition that i do that um it's when um when i have the opportunity i i cook i cook for my friends and my family so um anybody who visits from out of town my thing is i want to treat them with something delicious and nutritious and that's that's just it's just something that i do but um, also, I make hats. So um, if you're if you come to visit my house, you end up getting a hat. Not right away necessarily, but like at a certain point, you will end up with a hat, either for Christmas or for your birthday or something. So, but that's about all I can think of. <laughs> God, that's amazing. So, and uh, may, may I also add that Fido does the most amazing crochet. Incredibly well, thank you very amazing. Much. <laughs> Looks beautiful. Such her tension is so even. I need to lots and lots and lots of practice. Is there yeah, a website right. where people can like order a hat or they can look at your crochet or anything like that? Oh, now you're getting ahead of me. Uh, that's kind of uh, <laughs> something I'm working on. It's, it's a work in progress. I did have an Etsy store, but um, it worked because I do work full time. So it, it be ended up becoming uh, too much to handle. 
And so I kind of put it on the back burner, but it is something that is going to be revived at some point in the future. And then I have other plans as well. So yeah, that's, there's a, there's a combination of things that are happening at some point in the future regarding my crochet. So yeah, just be, keep an eye out for that. <laughs> so I, I've met four out of the eight of us and then I include myself. So that's five out of the eight. Uh, two of y'all are in Australia. Uh, every man I'm sure I will meet at some point. I can say that phytophiliac does make delicious chili and delicious cornbread. And we had a great time hung out with very tiny kitties and a dog that really loves to be pet. Um, but yeah, it's, it's awesome that, you know, it's like we, we, we all met online. We all met online because we have a uh, mutual interest and, uh, and have come together. And luckily with my job, I've been able to meet a ton of people and, uh, and it's really cool. So there is, you know, like, like Rachel was saying back there is that there's the, the family that you kind of pick up along the way, the friend, the friends we made along the way. Yeah. So, uh, maybe that's what's most important. And, uh, and it's awesome that I have the, uh, that I'm, I've been able to do this because, you know, like most of the time, most of the shows that we do, uh, a good portion of the people on the show are people that I met in real life. And, uh, I, I got to meet Ashley, who's usually on here as well. Uh, I met Mike obviously. And, um, I want to say the Childerberg is one of the best traditions because that's kind of, I mean, this show grew out of Childerberg and, you know, in its current iteration, in the beginning, like all those dudes, uh, we've had Jacob Lindsay on the show. We've had, you know, and a live from Childerberg episode. So uh, that's where this came from. That's where the what the fuckery came to be was Childerberg. And I really hope, I mean, obviously the Australians that are locked in, in their prison state can't be there, but I really hope that the rest of us can be there next time because it, it's a great way to meet people. Um, anybody? I'd like to just add a couple of things. I'm so happy you brought up Childerberg because I was about to say that, that, you know, annual meetup that really is like a family gathering. Um, and I just want to add to that I live in an incorporated village that makes it a little bit easy where there's lots and lots of events that they have, especially annually, where they have their own groundhog for Groundhog's Day. Um, I'm very used, I'm very lucky to be able to walk to this urban farm by me. And they often have lots of events there. That's where they have the Groundhog Day event. Everyone gathers into the barn, including the mayor. The mayor gives a speech. We get to see the groundhog and see if there's gonna be more days of winter. Um, there's lots of holiday shows, there's Christmas vendor fairs, and I'm very lucky to be able to have initially been an attendee of so many art fairs and vending shows that now I've started joining them. There's a wonderful one every Halloween, you know, close to Halloween, put on by this apothecary in Amityville. I started doing face painting there. So I'm kind of lucky in Long Island that there's so many opportunities to, to sort of join something traditional every year that's put on by these little incorporated villages. Yeah, uh, there's there's so many ways to pick something up. And I, I, uh, I've i had a big group of friends whenever I used to live in Denver and we did Friendsgiving every year because I would usually leave right before Christmas. And that was always 
special because it, it was it was just a big potluck and we did potlucks all the time but that one was the most special of the potlucks and everybody would try to impress each other and then um when i lived in austin i had i did tons of, of friendsgiving kind of potlucks uh but yeah we're you know some of it we ignore uh it, it just doesn't seem like anything because you know it, it it's it feels so normal but uh we're really i mean i would I, I can at least speak for myself that I'm really lucky that I've been around great people all of my life. So anybody else have some more stuff to say on traditions? So, so this is move it a along? funny one. Okay. It's a quick funny one on, on Australian perspective. Stella, can you remember during the height of COVID, the Australian tradition was saying that there's only six more lockdowns till Christmas? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It just became part of the language, didn't it? Part of the urban dictionary. You guys, you're telling me curfew and lockdowns are not tradition? Come on. <laughs> it's like the Great Plague, but, you know, not really and in modern times. Literally a call back to tradition. Y'all just not appreciated enough. <laughs> it's like if you ordered a plague on wish. That's right. exactly what it was like. Right. And I just, yeah, I just want to say, like, I wanted to say this topic because it sort of got me thinking of reminiscing about, you know, what I grew up with and certain things that I carried on or certain things that I created or, or people that I met that inspired me. And I wanted to hear from other people and maybe get some ideas of traditions to carry on because as much as we want to talk about, and I think it's important how the system and how the control works and this and this, I'm like, man, it's just important to remember what we're fighting for in the first place, right? Like what we would be doing if we were just to create our high trust community. Um, and it was just like, I think a good opportunity kind of crowdsource ideas and things that were special to people as, as well as myself. You know, what's so one I've... thing that I find as a tradition, sorry, Andy, that has dropped off with the advent of technology is we don't have the tradition of going to the video store and hiring out seven weeklies and two overnights and having that family bonding connection around a little bit of entertainment. Kids yep. will never have that small tradition because of streaming services and tablets and iPads and all that type of jazz. We're not just losing traditions through our elders dying. We're losing traditions because of technology as well. Well, absolutely. Absolutely. I think Andy and I spoke about this, that there is that like uh, the conspiracy theory that all culture ended in the 90s. And you could kind of see that with like, yes, traditions like um, I think Drew, I can't, I can't see it. I think Drew just mentioned um, with the with the video store, but also fashions, right? We used to have very concrete fashion if you know i showed you big hair and like billy idol you'd be like oh wow that's 70s right if i you know showed you like 90s fashion right like share from clueless you'd be like wow okay that's quintessentially you know 90s what the hell is the definitive fashion of the last i don't know 20 somewhat years nothing like homelessness like is, is that what it is a fucking face mask you know, man bun. Yes, yes. But Fucking man bun. That is not even. <laughs> yeah, that's that's stolen. <laughs> that's like stolen valor <laughs> from the samurai. 
Yeah, Rose, to answer your question, it's been less about style and more about augmentation, I'd argue. Like people getting fake plastic surgeries and and people getting, you know, like weird trans shit and just, it's just like, or trying to become robots or something strange like that. Yeah. It's true. Transhumanism is our new tradition. It's like, let me get my new BBL. Oh, I just got my boobs on. Like, who the hell? Like, what kind of person says that? It's it's so sad. You know, and I think uh people in a cult say things like that. Um, and and they repeat things that they hear other people in the cult say. Right. And but, interesting because you can't you can't actually spell the word culture without cult. Yes. Well, what the other thing I was saying is, you know, like the Australians in, in the room said, our traditions died with our elders. You know, once they passed away, that really hurts my heart because, you know, I see it. I kind of try and keep tradition alive within my family. But like Rachel and I, I mean, that's kind of why we want to start our cotillion thing because we want, you know, the return to tradition. We want face to face. We want to minimize the AI bullshit and maximize human relationships. That's why tradition is is not looming, but dying. It still freaks me out that we're sort of talking about things like um, getting together with a group of people face to face as some kind of novelty. <laughs> I, I just never thought we'd get there this quickly. Uh, it was very foreseeable when the internet came along, but also particularly when the devices came along, the phones, etc. Very easy to see. But, uh, my God, how fast it happened. And, it's a double-edged sword, Stella. Like, yeah, I've become, yeah, yeah. like, for the most part, I love being a shut-in because I don't have to deal with the general public half the time. I can I see agree. the appeal of Ted <laughs> going into the bush and building a cabin because <laughs> yes, society totally. is just nosedive dramatically. You have to be very selective of who you want to associate with. And I think that's why these types of spaces are perfect because you find like-minded people. And a lot of the time, it's not an echo chamber either. We've all got differing opinions and shared views on things. It's just that we don't uh, go with the, the mainstream media BS and the, the culture trends that are being pushed big time down people's throats. Yeah. I want to and... keep off of something Drew said. Sorry, babe. Um, he's like, I'm, I'd rather be a shut-in, not because like that's who I am, but because I don't want to interface with the fucking retarded public. Let's talk about that for a sec. The amount of NPCs has not just multiplied, it has exponentially expanded. I don't think like we had as many NPCs to deal with you know, when we were growing up and in our parents' generation and their grandparents' generation. I think like the tradition nowadays is like, absolute mpc which makes sense because everything is DARPA and, you know, MK Ultra mind control. But that's definitely a point to, you know, to elaborate on. Go ahead, Rach, sorry. No, it's cool. I just want to say something that I recall is very gender-specific birthday parties. So growing up, if it was a girl, you would have a roller skating, like roller rink parties. And I was always terrified because I would fall on my ass every party and i just had to go to the party knowing that was gonna happen and be okay with it just like and then if it was a boy you would have laser tag and i remember like hiding in the corner with my fake gun terrified of laser tag and i just knew this is what i was gonna get into and then you would have carvel cakes and you would have like balloons or you have a third option which was like chuck e cheeses 
or even worse, major magics, if anyone's grown up with that. And I used to just go in the ball pit and try to find money <laughs> when I was little. And I would find a toy, and if I found a toy I didn't want, I would take it to the counter and get tickets and reuse those tickets for a toy I didn't want. And those were like, that was my tradition. <laughs> I think the individualism dropped off a lot with the, like the advent of the nineties disappearing and culture air quotes kind of being a main, like a, everyone became a gray idea of what culture was and everyone does the same thing. When I was a kid, I might take some star Wars toys down to the park and someone else might have some GI Joes and someone else would have, um, I don't know, a bike. We all had different things. Now when you see kids playing, they've all got the same set of toys because it's all marketed to the same kids. And they all have to have the same thing. They don't have any kind of individualism as children playing games anymore. Yes. And also I remember an incredible amount of stress that, um, you know, my folks used to go through because we were not, you know, we weren't doing that well financially as growing up, et cetera. And um, it was, you know, they had to deal with the demands of the, you know, the latest of oh, whatever this doll is that's coming out just before Christmas. And of course, you know, over and over again with the ads, the way it works, as we know. And, uh, yeah, that incredible stress and pressure, I remember, you know, I mean, I think dolls were about 10 or 20 bucks or something back then. And it was like, that was a lot of money for us. And, uh, you know, I think parents were sort of looking at this chunk of plastic going, I can't justify this, but, uh, so yeah, there's those pressures as well that all that stuff, like that's sort of why I kind of reject Christmas apart from the, you know, the religious historical sort of things, but also I severely uh, see it as a very divisive, um, high pressure, commercialized, other people making lots of money, taking advantage of, etc. The, the commercialization of it makes me sick to my stomach. So, um, yeah, that's another reason I sort of boycott it as well. Here, here. Whole bunch, whole bunch more plastic crap in the in the planet too every year as well, which I don't like. Um, something yeah. I just want to jump in before I get murdered for talking too much is something we can also maybe if people want to talk about is. You know, there's tradition and then sort of parallel to that is rites of passage and a way of marking time and sort of marking the end or the beginning of different eras. So for me, in middle school, it was playing that god awful plastic flute. I don't know why they did that, but there was there was somehow everyone had to go through the white plastic flute phase. <laughs> the recorder. Um, yes, that was, that was like elementary school, junior high school. Absolutely. Um, or chorus, like that's what they stuck me into, which is ironic because I can't fucking sing. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, you see Rose, they, they say you have to play this flute or if you're terrible singing, we're going to lump you in a room with a bunch of other people to drown out your voice. <laughs> well, I sucked at both, so... <laughs> I don't know. I don't know why they would utilize kids like that. They're just like, here, play this thing that you can't play very well. And uh, I remember coming up with the song and it was like, Mary had a little lamb was like one, two, three, two, one, one, one. And yeah, but still I sucked. So, <laughs> but yeah, that's, yeah, those, those were the days elementary. Well, I find that people that were usually pretty good at um, athletics were not that great at music and vice versa. So, yeah, yeah I pretty much sucked at most sport. <laughs> you know, we had we had uh, woodworking, we had music, right? Jim um, was athletics. 
We had like pottery making, right? Things like that. Kids don't have, oh, home ec was another one. Kids don't have that anymore. That's why they grow up absolutely useless. Talk about the end of culture and tradition. That's definitely, you know, that's definitely a contributing factor in point. Here's a good chance to uh, test it, uh, test if we can share audio. Hey, Drizzle, can you look for the recorder version of the Titanic song <laughs> and see if that jams? Oh, that's no. hilarious. <laughs> 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 refuses. Thank you, Drizzle. There's a group of ladies. Uh, they post videos on YouTube. They're called the Woodpeckers, and they have a recorder quartet, or it might be a quintet, uh, group of five. And they pl they each play. One of them plays a bass recorder. One of them plays like the the really teeny tiny one, and then there's like a couple of them in the middle. But they play they play um, classical music arrangements on recorder, and it actually sounds pretty good. Uh, wow. But again, they practice and they are actually musicians. <laughs> They're not little kids. But um, yeah, I thought that was pretty cool. Um, I actually enjoyed playing the recorder. Um, of course, I am a, a bit of a music nerd, so you know it was right up my alley, and uh, I always had fun in the recorder class, even when we were listening to the other kids who, who uh, couldn't carry a tune in a bucket, um, you know, it actually wasn't that, to me, it wasn't that bad. It was one of my, my more, um, my more favorite uh, aspects of public school was learning music. Everything mm. else sucked. I am. Um, I assume it. that. <laughs> and I assume that this um, this may already exist. I haven't really Googled it, but um, if anybody has already or hasn't, <laughs> they should uh, come up with a like a harmonica or a trumpet or a recorder or whatever, the loud things um, to be silent so that only the player can hear it so it goes straight into your ear or whatever so that the family doesn't have to sit around listening to people learning harmonica and all those painful things. It's, oh, that sounds lovely, dear. You know, that kind of thing. Um, yeah, that would be a, maybe they exist. I don't know. They, they do, do part of, that's part of tradition, man. <laughs> part of being a good parent. Yes. <laughs> I have something super old. First of all, if you graduated from the flute, you could go on your own and get a yak back. And that was so cool, right? You could, what in the hell is a yak back? It's a gizmo gadget that you could say like half a sentence into and record it and then play it back. And it was like amazing. And then a little know, sampler the, thing. Right? Yeah, the handwritten version of that was called putty where you could take it and it was some gum like substance. You could roll on some newspaper and then take the ink off the newspaper. And that was like amazing. Silly putty. Yeah. Was, Something that I used to do is watch commercials as a kid and then want an item from a commercial. Or I would look at like uh, different toy stores would have those catalogs. And I'd be like, I have to get this doll from this catalog. Like I would also, uh, I had a friend who had, I think it was Delia magazine and she would order clothes from Delia. And it was like catalogs and special order items. And it was such a big deal if you ordered like a pair of jeans from a stupid catalog. When and one more thing is I used to love American Girl magazine. So I would go to the library and I'd get old copies of American Girl magazine and they would have recipes in them. They would have like 
different traditional, um, I hate to say like traditional recipe, but it was almost like those magazines were really good at maintaining certain aspects of American culture for a while. You know, they kind of held out on being degenerate for a while. And they would talk about like history and, and growing your own victory gardens and like really interesting stuff. So there weren't any articles about like anal sex or how to give the best no, blowjob back then? For <laughs> is there is there a transgender American girl? This is what we are in need to know. Like, can someone Google this transgender American girl and what is her story? Her parents were, you know, gay and they got their degrees from like the Academy of Cultural Marxism and, you know, <laughs> they fed her a ton of hormone therapy and now she's a boy. <laughs> yeah. Your main sources of degeneracy were either if you managed to get a hold of a Playboy magazine or like a specific nudie magazine, you would have to try to watch cable super late at night with it like fuzzy on the screen to get a nipple, right? Or you'd have to listen late at night, pretending you'd be asleep with, in your room, but listening, this is about no one in particular, listening to Loveline with Adam Carolla and Dr. Drew. And that's how I learned so much was listening to Loveline about all this crazy shit. And the number one question people would always ask is, does pot affect my sperm count? That was like every <laughs> other question was that question. <laughs> well, that kind of brings into account a really creepy tradition from, from our generation, Ando, that the only way you could find porn was to buy it at a truck stop in a magazine or it'd be in the woods and someone had already hit it there. But then there's a creepy association of who the hell is hiding porn in the woods and was it a degenerate that was looking for kids in the first place? Oh Maybe God. this is why men made maps to begin with. Maybe this is why we have like elaborate maps made by men because they were actually like, if you follow this North Star, North Star in this constellation, you will find my porn stash out in the woods. Cartography have to pornography. Well, it was so good to see everyone. I gotta run. I'll see y'all later. Thanks for joining. Thanks. It was good to see you. Bye, well, guys. Bye. It makes sense why all roads lead to Rome then, because most of the statues are naked, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so they built the map so that we could catch on to uh, to where we can find the the very small, small peepees. Um, the statues always had cute dicks um, and cute by, I mean, cute. But uh, <laughs> anyway, um, the best way to, I think, uh, finish this up and go on to the next thing would be to say everybody has somewhat of a tradition, I guess. But what are you bringing to the next generation? Um, I know, you know, some of us don't have families yet, but um, if you do, when you do, uh, however you want to put it, what are you going to carry on? I'll jump in then. Um, for me, it's the personal stuff that I'd wish I'd learnt as a kid. And I think my parents were of the generation where it, the trade wasn't considered to be the best thing. They they were from the, the working class generation where they thought the next step up for their kids was to go to university. So there was a big push on university for my generation. But for me, it's going back to those skills that you just learnt. Like our parents and grandparents just learnt those skills. It's something they had in their their bag of tricks, right? So personally, I'm all about as learning as much as I can about as many different things as I can. 
so that then I can pass that down to my kids when I have them because they're not going to learn it any other way. The education system certainly doesn't do it. And when our elders die off, that knowledge is lost. So it's more incumbent upon us now to learn as much as we can and pass that on because it's just going to disappear. Yeah, 100%. Um, I didn't quite hear the question, but I gather what you're talking about. Um, when I had my kids, I was living on an acreage, farm, etc. I mean, yes, they did go to school. It was very good school back then, as in very personable, very kind to the children, um, good people. And, uh, oops, hang on. And, uh, yeah, so they grew up, a lot of uh, their time was spent in the paddock, um, eating raw peas while we did our work, etc. cetera, um, sitting on a tractor, uh, hanging around in little ponds and things like that, figuring, uh, seeing, you know, hanging in a dinghy in the wetlands while, you know, platypus were hanging around. Stuff like that. I mean, that's that's a sort of child. It's a it's a school of life. I'm I'm all for that. Um, I think we're more than capable of as human as uh, adults in uh, parents, even in groups of homeschoolers, we're well well <laughs> capable of teaching our children much better than anything they could learn in a government curriculum, which is bullshit as we know. Um, very few skills come out of going to school beyond you know. I mean, now they're trying to tell us that two and two is five, et cetera. So I don't know what use that was. but So, yeah, I'm all for um, homeschooling, if possible. Community, village raises a child in the, in the actual true sense, like the traditional sense. Um, so, yeah, that's my thoughts on it. Can I just quickly add to that, Stella? Something else I think we've lost along the way is everyone seems to think that the nuclear family is the be-all and end-all, but that stemmed out of the traditional family. I think multi-generational houses or multi-generational lots of property are a great thing to go back to. You may not necessarily have to live under the same roof, but having multiple houses on, say, a homestead or a farm, that's a great way for people to grow up and interact with their, with their family members because then we have that multi-generational transition of information and knowledge. We don't have to go see grandma at the old folks' home and sit down with her for 10 minutes and then leave. They're, they're there with the family and they're interacting all the time. And I think that's been lost mostly at due part to what the nuclear family is. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And, um, I mean, if it wasn't for my grandmother, I mean, I came from a family of divorced parents, and if my grandmother hadn't been there, I would have spent a lot of my childhood in childcare. So the fact that my grandma was there while my mum went out to work, etc., I was able to sort of still, you know, have a fairly regular, normal kind of upbringing as far as I see it normal. Because I really don't think the childcare thing is beneficial in any way, shape, or form. It's just another symptom of slavery. Um, yeah, just need to be a bit more responsible with um, the children, really. I think one of the things that I hope to pass on to my kids is um, being of service, and not in like um, not in like a slave way, but like you know being able to offer assistance or offer help because they want to, because they are available and because they can, not because it is required of them. Um, but learning to identify when somebody's in need of assistance and just being available and um, just trying to be generally helpful to people instead of um, questioning their motives as to why they can't help themselves. 
you know, because we have a lot of um, victim blaming going on in our country, in our society right now. And um, I, I want my kids to understand that other people are not, other people are not the enemy. And it is the system that is the enemy that is um, trying to keep us all, you know, keep us all in line and making us suspicious of each other. It's like, why does that person need more help than most people, you know, and just um, being so suspicious of each other. So I, I want my kids to be helpful in, be in a responsible way, in an intelligent way, um, and able to um, be cognizant of situations around them. And that's just, I, I don't feel like I was raised um, to be situationally aware. Uh, I am, I can be quite um, <laughs> oblivious to things around me from time to time. And it is a, a bad habit that I had uh, developed over the years. And I, I've been trying my best to break myself of that ha bad habit. I've gotten better. I'm, I'm still a bit absent-minded most of the time, but <laughs> it's getting better. And uh, so I just, I hope to be able to teach my kids how to be helpful and be of service to other people. At the very extreme version of that, I'd like to say something, but would you like to say good day to Dan, who just entered first? Ando? Hi, Dan. Hey, what's up? <laughs> Welcome in, uh, Dan. Hey, guys. Yeah. Um, what, Andy, you, thanks you've for been listening. Me on. Okay, yeah, you've yeah. been listening. So, uh, so get up to speed. Uh, what kind of traditions did you grow up with, and what traditions do you hope to pass on to your next generation? Uh, yeah, the the first thing that came to first off, I just wanted to say hey to everyone. Rachel, good to see you again. Uh, Stella, the Drizzle, and uh, Phytophiliac, great to meet you. Every man, um, happy you're here first of many, I'm sure. And uh, last but not least, Drew, uh, we've exchanged a few messages in the group chat. So it's good to finally meet you face to face, brother. Same. Um, so the first thing I thought of when you mentioned the traditions is something that was kind of, um, it was always there and then it was not there and then it was there again. And, and for me, it was um, Sunday dinners. Uh, just having like, you know, knowing reliably every week you're going to spend, you know, dinner time with the same family members just consistently. You don't even have to call ahead. You just know to show up and you can, you know, or, or you know what to bring and you just reliably expect everyone's going to be there. And if someone's not there, everyone's like, hey, where are they? You know, and you're uh, keeping up with your relatives in that kind of way, uh, the consistency of it, and you get to see all their kids growing up and, you know, be around your cousins and that sort of thing. Um, and then, you know, sometimes it would change, like it would be one side of the family for a long time, and then we'd kind of drift off, and then now it's a different side of the family, but there's always somewhere to go, you know, and so... In the future, that's something I hope to like a tradition that I hope to to, to like host, you know, at my house and just oh, I want to be the the dad that hosts Sunday dinners for the family, you know. If that answers your question. So you're you're Italian, and this is something yes. that that I've noticed is that that a lot of people that that have, you know, like some of us here are just 
just what generically white, right? We don't really have a connection to the uh, the nationality that we came from. Yeah, you can't all and, be swarthoids like me. <laughs> right. So, uh, so since we don't have that connection, that we we've, we've kind of lost some of this, and then uh, and then you know, is that did the Italians you think uh, set up some sort of bulwarks to this, or do you think it's just Catholicism that uh, that that made this this family connection uh, matter more to the Italian race or nationality, however you want to put it. I didn't want to mention the Italian angle when I started the whole Sunday dinner spiel because I was like half sure that everyone did it. And I didn't want to seem like, you know, some idiot who's just like, oh, we got this, uh, you know, ethnic tradition that we do and only us. But um, I, I think I think that's a good point. I probably wouldn't have thought of that myself, that like the Catholicism angle and that uh, it's just kind of a traditional thing to do. I'm sure it has something to do with the like extended family and that like emphasis on being close with your extended family and like the value of that and and you know just being able to rely on a wider group of people than like the nuclear family. Um, you're probably smarter on these things than I am because I didn't I, I don't think about them like I I probably other than like like because I go to see my brother on Sunday, but it, like Sunday dinner at my brother's house is him ordering some food and we're watching football or he's watching football and I'm like reading esoteric nonsense on my phone and like half listening, you know? Uh, <laughs> so it's like, it's not the same. It's just like, you know, a handful of us. It's not like a big thing, at least out here where I am uh, in, in Florida. Um but like back in Illinois, you know, with my family, it was a it was a larger thing. People cooked, you know, it wasn't uh, it wasn't so cell phone generation out there, you know, and there's still more generations there. So th that'd be a question that I'd have to ask them, you know, because they're older. They probably like they actually grew up with this stuff like consistent and like it wasn't so consistent for me. But I don't know. I'm just kind of rambling at this point. <laughs> Hope that I am. All right. So, uh, every man, did you had uh, you haven't added Yo. to what you what you probably already, I guess, passed on, right? Or or what you intend to? Well, you know, Drew mentioned it, and we were talking early this morning, Andy, uh, about a family property. And that's something that just kind of consumes a lot of my free time and my thought right now. We just, um, I have two older brothers and uh, um, I'm getting ready to turn 49. I have two older brothers and uh, we are, we just had our first kind of official meeting. It's something we've been talking about for about close to two years, but we just had our first official meeting and we talked real numbers real area, real user requirements, you know, what do we all actually want to do in a real world scenario. So that was exciting. Um, and, and, you know, again, that's, that's something that as I grow older, you know, I've still got one at home. Uh, um, the rest of my, my kids are out of the house. So, you know, it's really kind of dawning on me. I'm really, really, really looking forward to grandkids. 
<laughs> so that my mind is on that a lot. Um, I've got a 21 year old son uh, who's pretty serious with his girlfriend right now. So that's kind of on the horizon for us. Uh, my wife and I are really excited for that. And so this that is really kind of turbocharged my desire uh, to get after this family property and start the ball rolling. So and my, like I said, my oldest brother, <clears throat> my oldest brother is uh uh, his kids are all are grown and out of the house too, so he's really serious. He's close to retirement, so um, yeah, we're pumped about that. We've got a lot of different plans. It can go a lot of different directions. I also have my mother is still alive too, uh, and and uh, she's she's um, expressed a desire to live there, so um, that's another motivating factor for me too. I'd I'd really like to make that happen for her. So. Um, that kind of thing. So I'm looking forward to grandkids. Um, I have brothers, they have kids. So there's going to be, there's going to be some children around. Um, so we're really focused on that. I can't wait. Super excited about so, that. I, I'm so into having grandkids that I decided to just have kids really late in my life. So, <laughs> so I'll, be like, I'll be old and it's like my, yeah, my actual kids will be like grandkids in, in age range. Um, yeah. but let's see, have we got to Rachel Fido and Drizzle on, um, on what they hope to pass on, if anything. Um, what I'd like to pass on is my appreciation of classical art. Um, teaching how to draw, how to, you know, my grandmother drew, my mom draws, I draw, my sister can draw. So that's something that's been passed down generations. So that's something that I'm hoping to pass down and maintain. Yeah. Drizzle? Um, yeah, I passed on the first one, so I'm going to pass okay. on the back end, too. <laughs> okay, Fido? <laughs> uh, well, yeah, I mean, just the um, just the uh, spirit of service, you know? Oh, that you already and... answered me. I'm sorry. Yeah, I, that's yeah, okay. Right. But we also music. I know it's it's great that somebody wants to tre uh, pass on the, the, the love of art, but just really the love of creativity, you know, just being creative because it helps with uh, problem solving. So helps people think outside the box. So just general creativity, just any kind of creativity in any form, really. So, yeah. So I wanted to start there and uh, and then kind of get back into uh, into our, our schizo posting of of our lives here. What we what we do is so this was a, I thought it was a really good suggestion by Rachel, but I had also suggested that we go over silent weapons by quiet wars uh for quiet wars by uh william milton cooper it, he didn't actually write the document but he found it in a copy machine and it's basically a blueprint for technocracy and uh and part of it is eroding uh you know deracinating people from their culture and uh and i think that it's something that we're seeing play out. We're seeing it play out on a new level. I mean, this document came out in 1954 and almost all of it has come true. And it kind of proves, you know, uh, one thing about Rose being here is that, you know, she was she was very young when she lived in uh, in Russia. So they had, you know, they had already been exposed to communism. But, the you know, we've gotten like a drip treatment of communism uh, through America like that. They tripped it in slowly and now now we're finally seeing it we're like holy crap we became exactly what we were afraid of in the 80s um but yeah so where i'm going with this is 
the this is how the technocratic mo model has come after us is that you know they they destroyed our culture and separated us and i'm glad that that everybody still has something that they're maintaining on to and i hope that y'all are able to to pass it on because i think that this is what freaks the parasite class out completely is that you know that we're still trying to make beautiful things happen uh and well and it is a form of generational wealth all right and that is what freaks the parasite class out the most is us useless eaters having the ability to pass something anything on to the generations that follow us because that's exactly how they got into the positions that they enjoy today is they had it passed down from their parents and from their parents and so on for however far back as you want to look at it right so it's everything that affects us and and causes our reality to break down from what we know it or expect it to be is in service of that so that we cannot build any kind of generational wealth and it's not something as simple as teaching your son how to replace a carburetor or changing the oil on his ute it's the knowledge that these people have is so esoteric and so big picture they've been able to maintain that wealth and power but even the small things of changing your oil those things over time could grow into generational wealth if you can save a little bit of money on changing your own oil or uh, repairing your own car that's more money in your pocket and they don't want the middle class to get any bigger they actively want to shrink the middle class bring it back to a the elites and the the paupers essentially they want us back in the fields through the future of technocracy and that's the way it's kind of going I just want to pipe in and make a quick comment here. Two comments. One, uh, I wonder whatever became of the intern that left that document in the copier. Probably was his last day. Secondly, <laughs> it, it's doing this sort of like self-given homework about tradition and family. And it's interesting because tradition is sort of that intersection between uh, generational wealth, uh, passing down knowledge and information, self-sufficiency, problem-solving generationally, you know, rituals, um, ways of showing love and affection. It's just this real interesting hub for so much that matters to us, right? And also, I'm noticing like that that marriage to religion and traditional, you know, and organized religion as well. It's very hard to separate the two. Yes, we can have friendsgiving, or yes, we can have certain secular holidays or whatever but i'm noticing how much tradition and values and and all these things actually come directly from religion itself and again it's it's very hard to divorce that what a fragile ecosystem that is as much as i have my own hesitations about organized religion and especially about people sort of resting on their their laurels with any group per se i'm just noticing again it's it's that sort of chesterton's fence like that uh, don't tear something down until you know exactly what it's there for and and what it could possibly be protecting. Yeah. Um, it's the negative side of tradition that makes me cringe about tradition. Um, for instance, 
as you say, like uh, religious-based traditions. <laughs> Unfortunately, what comes to my mind is things like um, genital mut- mutilation, um, stuff like that that's just obligations, obligations that are, you know, well, you know, our family did it, so you have to do it, that kind of thing. That's sort of, uh, it's, there's a lot of judgment in it. If you don't do this, then that. Um, so I, that's, that's, I'm a little bit sour about tradition. I can see some value in it. I can see uh, remembrance-type traditions, for instance, like the Anzacs, who were um, sent, you know, human sacrifice wars. Um, so in that sense, tradition should be kept alive because certain memories shouldn't die. Um, but as far as the other stuff goes, so yeah, I'm, I'm sort of a little bit dark on it all, personally. That's and my the, thoughts. the control grid obviously wants to push yes, vaccination schedules as like a tradition and a ritual and boosters mm. and this and that. Like, oh, oh, expectations. You're so you need to get this vaccine, or you're you're entering this school, so you need to get this. And obviously, like setting setting the eras for us, right? Setting the culture and setting uh the passage of time and and sort of like markers of age for us um mm. instead of like what's good for us or something that was valuable meaningful it's like being replaced with these sort of like sent from above traditions you know well even if you look at it from a fifth generational warfare perspective that the idea of politics in this day and age as far as i'm concerned is just a sham it's all a facade the same absolutely two wings of the same bird right but we get thrown into this idea of tradition along voting lines um we're a working class family so we always vote left-leaning labor and unionists because they support the workers and then there might be no we vote um conservative because of this because my grandfather didn't his his grandfather did we get trapped in these ideas of team politics which has really been manipulated and it becomes a part of that propaganda machine of fifth generational warfare it's not as simple as sticks and rocks and bashing each other over the head like we started off with first generation it's become so multifaceted and so built into the fabric of tradition culture and our way of life that we don't even realize it exists until we go down the rabbit hole and educate ourselves um, the culture cult thing um and stella you kind of triggered me when you mentioned the general mutilation because i just was on the phone with a friend of mine yesterday who had his first uh, kid and he was like he like offhandedly told me that uh the, that he got the kid circumcised and i was just like oh like i told you i told you all about it i'm like you know like i gave him the whole feel <laughs> and then i told him i told him like even i was like do you, you know what the bible says about circumcision right like thinking at least that would get to him no no he, may, he said i, I don't give yeah, sorry. I'm sorry, Dan. May I ask, uh, is, was he actually Jewish? No, he's Catholic. <laughs> but and I'm like, no, he said. I swear, he said. He said, I don't give a fuck what the Bible says. Uh, my doctor clearly, and I just like. Ah. I was like, okay, whatever, dude. His <laughs> doctor. Even, I, yeah, right. What what new religion. Yeah, like what a new just, religion. I was like, yeah. No, I said I was like, yeah, you're Jewish doctor. He goes, no, he's uh, he's not Jewish. He's whatever. I don't even know. But I like, I, I don't know. He he like tried to explain himself as best he could to me. Totally white. Like, yeah, he threw some joke, and then I pretend kind of chuckled at it, and then just let the let the conversation go on to something else. But it, like that, yeah. that I, I just you know. Yeah. Um. I that, think sorry, it's, I had it's... to say. It. 
No, no, it's a good point. Um, I think there's, um, I think as far as I know, I, maybe things have changed, but when it was relevant to me when I was having my children, um, it was quite, quite hard to find someone who would be willing to do it. Like it had come that far. So I'm yeah. sort of surprised to hear that. But then, you know, America's a much bigger place. So, Well, Stella, uh, it's generational. The boomer no, generation. America's the only. Be... True. America, sorry, go the boomer uh, generation. America's the only place that still does it uh, in the Christian world, at least. But that's because we're a Jewish country. Yeah, well, in Australia, it used to be the boomer generation. All the men were done. My generation, they stopped doing it. But now they're trying to argue yeah. that it should go back to doing it because um, men can give girls urinary tract infections if we're not clean with it. It's a much cleaner thing if it doesn't have the skin on it. Uh, they're going yeah. back to that kind of medical yeah. idea for it. Which is that old chestnut. He, said, he was like, oh, yeah, it's cleaner. I'm like, yeah, if you cut off 40% of the skin on any organ, it's going to be harder to get an infection anyway that's why yeah. your people wear skirts without underwear because it's supposed to air out and be cleaner that way right <laughs> that was, that, was that why you have that odd tradition just don't talking about, over what he's talking about you're not talking to me are no, I was saying the Scottish, like, you know, plaid skirts or something, right? Oh, the kilts. It's more, it's more so yeah. easy access so that have... we can you know, boost our numbers more efficiently. Yeah, you don't have to waste <laughs> time taking underwear off. You get It and makes then... the act much quicker, doesn't it? And then his people have bagpipes as a distraction. They're like, don't look at my dick. That's what that's about. <laughs> I can't remember where I heard it or who said it, um, but I've heard it said that tradition um, used to function as the immune system of society for persistent problems over time. But like Drew said, in this era of fifth generational information warfare madness, I don't think that even fuck, nah, this doesn't apply anymore. <laughs> yeah, what, what you were saying, Drew, about like the traditional voting sort of thing, um, that also came out of uh, previous generations where, you know, things like the media were actually, I'm not saying 100% all the time, but the media were generally trustworthy. They actually took pride in their journalism. They yeah. tried very hard to do a good job. They weren't quite as controlled. Well, certainly not to the degree they are now. Um, and, yeah, it's just the same with society generally. Um, so, yeah, the, the, um, the media should function as our intelligence service, essentially. Well, they should, yeah. Um, they, but they, oh, I'm coming, what I'm saying is that the older generation tend to be more trustworthy as well. So that's why oh, yeah. they sort of stuck, stuck with one party traditionally, because it was sort of that party traditionally passed down the same values and they would only have people in their party that had those values, etc. But then, of course, over the last few decades, particularly, you know, the cabinet has been infiltrated, um, <laughs> etc. And that goes down to local levels. So, um, Absolutely. yeah, it's, it's just all changed now. We can't trust anybody <laughs> especially in politics is what i mean yeah totally agree so <laughs> so if that's if that type of thing is going on um silent weapons for silent wars what stage do you think we're at now like we all know what it is but let's unpack it a bit for the listeners there at least our own individual thoughts who wants to start off well let me read from uh silent weapons for quiet wars this is a little subsection called the artificial womb 
From the time a person leaves its mother's womb, its every effort is directed towards building, maintaining, and withdrawing into artificial wombs, various sorts of substitute protective devices or shells. The art objective of these artificial wombs is to provide a stable environment for both, uh, both stable and unstable activity, to provide a shelter for the evolutionary process of growth and maturity, i.e. survival, to provide security for freedom and to provide defensive protection for offensive activity. This is equally true of both the general public and the elite. However, there is a definite difference in the way of each of these classes go about the solution of problems. So they, they basically want you from the cradle to the grave to be indoctrinated by their systems. And, um, and they do work on people from the beginning. Uh, we were just talking about getting cut and uh and you know that happened to me unfortunately um you know just being a child of of the 80s and my mom being a teenager that they filled with you know drugs in order to make you know letting me into the world a little easier for her and they said here sign this and she was like i don't know fuck it i'll sign whatever just you know make it not hurt and uh and that's one of the ways they get people and so you know, there, there is a variety of things that they do to people right at the very beginning. You know, um, in fact, right after I was born, I also had uh, had jaundice and had to be completely separated from my, my family in my earliest moments of life. I had to be on, uh, you know, basically like injected in my feet with all kinds of crap. Um, I don't remember it, obviously, but, you know, I, I know that my life started pretty traumatic, it sounds like. Um, what do y'all think? Continue Can on Can I this. jump in quickly with an idea of what the artificial womb is uh, early on? We see it and Stella spoke to it early on how she didn't have to, um, she didn't have to go to childcare because her grandmother was there to look after her. In today's day and age and the way the economy's built, being built around where you need two incomes to survive, far more often than not, a woman will have her baby and within the first three months, that kid will be shipped off to a childcare center. The problem with this artificial womb that is the childcare center is you've got generally 30 kids all competing for the intention, the love, and the protection of one person in that area. So not only are they built in a, a system that makes them dependent on the state or authority, they're also competing with people around them. So it creates almost that sense of division and hatred for each other, but it's very subtle and below the surface. They've got that idea of competition but it's got this weird sensation of building it up around a groupthink mentality. We all have to sit down at the table and eat food together for us in order to be fed. We all have to play the same games together. It builds that kind of like an air quote sheep mentality. And I hate using that term because it's such a throwaway line, but it creates a sheep mentality that's so divisive and against each other. That's why we see such huge, huge differences in persuasions in politics and people that get butthurt over the smallest things and when they're adults they eat each other alive verbally online it builds a situation of dependency on the state and hatred for their fellow human being because they've had to compete for love and affection from one person generally that's not their parent or their family in the first place yeah um it is and it there's is that it. one big kid that like pushes everyone around and there's not uh there's not enough adults to like actually prevent it so the kids are like kind of fighting each other all the time too 
It is definitely a training ground for the herd mentality. That is definitely what they want to produce out the other end. Um, And at some point during the 90s, I don't know if it was there, but in Australia it came in that this is the beginning of the whole, well, not the beginning, but certainly the early days of the breakdown. Um, For instance, you know, my children were very young and when this happened, they had very caring teachers. Like I said, they had very good teachers. Uh, But then it came in that, the teachers were not allowed to hug the children, in other words, or touch them much. So, in other words, if a child fell over, they were hurting. I mean, in the old days, you'd go up and just give them a hug. Oh, it's all right, sweetheart, you know, give them a little pat on the back and just hold them for a while. And then they're, they're off and playing again within a few couple of minutes. Not allowed to do that anymore. So that's like harden up, harden up from the age of four, you know, that kind of thing. Um, also, the separation, you know, the killing of emotion. It's just so many facets to that. I was I was so disgusted, and when I rem- I remember having quite an intense conversation with the young the teacher, uh, Mr. Kelb. Uh, he was very hurt because he was such a loving, caring man, and nothing sus about him whatsoever. But he was he was very distressed by the fact that he wasn't allowed to now show any affection or touch you know hold them when they needed to be held or what have you. He was one of the few male teachers too, and he was such a, a mentor. It was really sad because, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of fatherless children. So the teachers kind of become mentors. I mean, they're spending most of their day with them and then they separate them. So it's like you're in a group but separate, you know. Follow these orders. Put your hand up when you need to go to the toilet. That's just training. It's just like there's, we live right very, very close to a high school. And I've noticed since I've been living here, which is only a couple of years, it went from the, they had, um, you know, when they have a break, it's recess or what have you, and there's a loudspeaker and, you know, you get something comes over. It's an announcement in some schools. It's Then it started getting all really chilly, you know, as in they'd play some music, you know, some pop song or what have you. Now they've changed it to, it sounds like I'm on a train station. They've changed it to do, 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 whatever those t- chimes are. There's probably something psychological behind them. And then it's like... <laughs> you know that's all you can hear and it just sounds so it's just reminds me of a prison yard that's what it sounds like (laughs) it's a whole atmosphere and in australian schools all the fences are super high now i can remember when i was a kid you could just walk into any area of the school on the boundary because there was no fences and now they're six foot high all the way around yeah right for safety and protection and you know probably a few Perhaps some false flags might have set that one off. Who knows? Not sure when that came in, when they started doing the fencing thing. Was that, uh, I wonder if that was triggered by something. I know it triggered in my neighborhood growing up. What's that? Oh, there's just crime. What what triggered the fence? Drugs and crime. It was just like all over the place. Like there were always groups of uh, teens, we'll call them, just like walking around, getting too close to the fence. Uh, frequently there would be like the fence would get higher like every other year whenever they had it in the budget. And, you know, uh, I remember being out at like recess in grade school and then like some group of older kids would come by and then one of the other kids would be over by the fence talking to the cool older kids. And then like all the adults had to run over like, Hey, you shoo, you know, like get these, get these damn high schoolers out of here. This is an elementary school. And they, the fences kept getting higher and, and further and just, 
Yeah, you know, you got to separate the uh, youth from the previously screwed up youths. You know, I mean, the the house next door to me when I was growing up was. Uh, uh, anyway, I don't want to take up too much time, but you know, like there were there was always problems. One time, I think it was like a, I think the kid was like selling crack or something. Like one day, one day someone just took a shit. Just like outside his bedroom window. I don't know, because he like wouldn't answer the window or whatever. And I remember for like two weeks, every time I would go to my living room, I would just see a big log of human shit just like right there, uh, uh, you know. And neighborhoods will just deteriorate. And like, there's not too much that can be done about that. They never bounce back. They don't improve, they, you know. Just been watching everything deteriorate and like, especially in like the area around Chicago, like every generation moves a, a town or two further west, you know, at least the middle class, right? Because then the lower class areas start to encroach out from the city west. And so everyone just moves a few towns west every generation. That's all you yeah. can do, run away all from by, All by design and also just symptoms of the design. We're seeing the uh, the outcomes of their very clever schemes. Did uh, you did you say that you grew up near Chicago, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's where the worst of it is happening now, and uh, and I'm surprised that it was that bad then. But I mean, it. I'm not really. Uh, I guess I guess the places that have turned into the mega mess at this point were a mess years ago. Well, we uh, we used to be able to like ride our bikes when we were kids, like across town, and it was fine. But the same neighborhood now, like there were a few different things that happened, and one one thing that was actually. One thing that happened, because there were a few demographic changes that happened. Like when I was a kid, it was all the uh, Eastern Europeans coming in, and that that might have actually elevated the neighborhood for a while because it uh, it was mostly like Mexican and Italian, and that's not exactly a recipe for success, if you ask me. But uh, when all the Europeans came in, it kind of you know it, it it flattened out for a while and like there was not really there's not really any like violent crime not like general or random at least going on you know there are a few high profile cases uh, you know a couple murders but everyone knew about every murder that happened because it was novel and then um after katrina after hurricane katrina we got we got some different youths and then it's like their population just continued to grow and grow and encroach. And then all the Europeans and the Italians and even the Mexicans started moving out. And so that same neighborhood where we, you know, we used to be able to ride our bikes across town. I wouldn't, if I had kids in that area, I wouldn't let them, you know? So 2005 was Katrina and, uh, and I'm from Houston and we got, you know, we had a lot of, of the Katrina refugees housed in our Astrodome. And then after that, you know, they, they ended up staying in Houston and made a huge mess of that. And I was talking to every man earlier today, and he's talking about how it, it also ruined uh, Indy. Um, 
can care to continue on that? Oh yeah. Ever? Oh yeah. It was it was just downright obvious in just the central Indiana area period. Ever since Katrina, this place has just kind of gone in the shitter. And now since COVID, oh god, it's really bad. So if you were planning to visit, don't. <laughs> I had a good time there. I don't I don't go unless I have to. So that's uh, Rachel's also spent time there. This is a yeah. this is a very indie centric uh, uh, podcast, considering that also uh, Mike the Polymath, who we're missing tonight, is from Indy as well. But go ahead, Rachel. I spent yeah. some time there as well. Who else yeah, is from so Indy? Some places I want to comment on. Um, I have friends that aren't far from Indy, and I have friends that I still go visit in West Lafayette, Indiana, because that's where I went to college. Mm. Um, so I visit occasionally. <laughs> And West Lafayette looks super different. There's like a million bubble tea places now and there's way more international yeah. students and they're trying yeah. to like accommodate this influx of people and they're constantly trying to build like new apartment high rises and all these things and like other places that I've visited that have changed is Tennessee. They're trying to build uh, Nashville. They're trying to build up all these high rises and accommodate more people and then places that I haven't been to in a while but definitely have changed is Seattle and San Francisco. When I went, I mean, maybe San Francisco around like 2014 or something like that. And it wasn't the way it is now. And then Seattle, I think the last time I visited might've been around 2018 or so. And I think it's, it's just gotten worse. I have a, a person that still lives there and he's had his car broken into like twice. I'm like, dude, you gotta move. Like you gotta get the hell out. No, 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 always an excuse. And I just gave up. I'm like, all right, screw it. Good luck to you, you know, because it's terrible. Um, New York City, definitely more run down, definitely more graffiti. And I think after 2020 was the first time I ever saw any sort of empty buildings by Penn Station. That was weird because that's such prime real estate. I never saw that before. And some buildings that went out during all the COVID bullshit lockdowns and stuff still haven't been replaced. You know, some businesses are still missing and and look just really bad. Is that the problem overall then when we know it happens that like Dan had said that the demographics changed and for whatever reason like crime or things become worse in the area. So people tend to move out. That middle class keeps moving to the peripherals, keeps going to the edges. Isn't that just kicking the can down the road? If people had actually stayed there, would it have solved this problem earlier on and potentially something could have been done? Because all we're doing is just, like I said, kicking it down the road and extending it out. And eventually it's going to catch up with you one way or another. So would it have been better for these earlier generations to maintain where they were and try to do something about it? Um, you have two choices, right? Because you can do what we do, which is uh, every generation move west and build a new city west of where we abandoned the last city. Uh, or you stay where you are, get slowly replaced. Your children go to school in a district that looks nothing like the district you grew up in. Um, you know, as bad as the, the bullying that you had to deal with was your kids are going to get it worse and worse and worse every generation. 
I mean, can you do that to your kids? Like, uh, you know, because like you, it's easy, not easy, but it's one thing to say like I'm gonna stay and fight the the rot and the you know the, but like there's no real way to do that in the United States because you can't prevent the demographic changes from taking place. They just have to take place. Now, in the case of my small town, I don't know who or how this got started, but there was a rumor that probably did keep a lot of the demographics uh, somewhat stable for a little bit. Uh, it was There was a complete nonsense rumor, but the rumor was that uh, for whatever reason, the fire department wouldn't fight fires at uh, black people's houses. Which makes no sense because the fire department has no idea who lives in a house when they get there. They just put out the fire. But, you know, maybe the mayor didn't really have a... Right, and fire spread and it's a big expensive problem. So maybe the mayor didn't have much of an incentive to dispel the rumor because it was kind of helping to keep some of the demographics uh, at bay. But, I mean, even, even if you did, like... Even if you did launch a like massive psyop campaign and do that sort of thing intentionally and spread these like kinds of rumors and uh, you know, I, I doubt that would prevent a dedicated actor from replacing you, regardless. I think that's the the sad, the sad part of this, and I agree with you, Dan, because you don't want to subject your kids to that type of thing that you know is coming. So that's why you move. But eventually you do get to the point where there's nowhere else to move to. Everywhere is taken up. And it may not be your kids that it happens to, but it might happen to your grandkids or your great grandkids. It's going to happen to someone eventually. So I agree with you, but like where where's where's the line in the sand? Where does it stop? Where's there a point when people try to do something about it? And I, I know it's a it's an easy question to ask. It's very hard to answer, but it's something that I can't help but not think about because eventually it's going to happen. This might be a little bit on the black pilled side, I guess, but I just feel like um, we're being corralled. This is a design to get us out of certain places so they can build back better. Um, and, you know, the smart cities, etc. So basically, I mean, yes, what uh, you're talking about with um, somebody mentioned how long it takes. Oh, I think it was you, Rachel, how long it takes for things to be built back. Um, after certain events, etc., like whether it be weather events or whatever it may be, whatever thing that they had planned for your area. Um, for instance, I live in a place where there was a couple of very bad floods last year, like unprecedented floods, um, lots of people displaced, etc. Still a lot of people haven't had help. There's still people here that haven't had help from the fires from 2009. <laughs> so, oh, uh, yeah, 2009. Um, so... I feel that, you know, some places are kind of like put on hold because, you know, well, we've, we've got that bit. I mean, look at Lahaina. Look at what the things that have happened there. It's, you'd have to be pretty much an ostrich to, to have your head in the sand to not see that there was something not natural about that. And there was some, I mean, you know, the guy Josh Green had just previously been in the um, WEF, you know, um, whatever big conference that they had, you know, getting his um <laughs> his next programming or whatever it is they do there um uh all the, the nothing much adds up but it all adds up if you know what i mean um so uh yeah black pill sorry but it's a plan 
I do have a white pill though. Um, and yes, it is hard to build back and it takes time, but there's a project that Rose and I have been working on. It's called Underground Cotillion and it's our response and our general future vision to all the deracination that has happened. And it's basically our idea of creating these social clubs and networks with different hubs, one starting in Austin, one starting in New York. And we want to offer things such as matchmaking services. We want to offer coalition building. We want to offer self-improvement courses and trying to find ways to, again, maintain that generational wealth and those values. Because not a lot of people are going back to, to religion per se or back to church immediately. And there's such a you know, displacement and deracination. I mean, I myself got out of a long-term relationship recently and, you know, I didn't, it's not something I necessarily anticipated, but I've been doing speed dating because I refuse to do dating apps. If there was a matchmaking service already built, and again, we're looking for funding, we're kind of doing this from scratch ourselves. If our project were off and running, I would use it myself. <laughs> But for now, I'm just doing uh, speed dating and I'm interfacing with the general public. And it is very brutal. Like a lot of normies, a lot of people who don't quite get it or or certain things. So you can you can see, you know, I'm not necessarily advocating for arranged marriages, but but you see that deracination in all aspects of life and how it feeds into itself and how important it is to create something like Underground Cotillion, where you create a social network and you create a high trust community. And that is something that is so fragile and takes time to build, you know, and, and we have our gifts and go for it. And our Twitter account for it got nuked already. <laughs> but that, that's, wait, 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 What's, so uh, was Rose running it? <laughs> she was, yeah, she was. It was cool. And then she made a few posts that got nuked. <laughs> of course. She needs a new phone, like a new number or something. She right, needs right. A, new, a new satellite that is not like Elon Musk's Starlink or something. It's totally connected to a VPN at this stage. Above, it's got to be. Yeah, but absolutely. It's a lot harder to replace things and rebuild them. And I think people over time just kind of hits them like, oh, my goodness, all these things don't exist. And oh, my goodness, you know, just even for this show, asking a simple question of what traditions do you have? kind of gets you thinking like, wait, you know, am I tapped into something? Am I part of something? Am I part of something generationally? And if if not, it's it's never too late to start thinking that way. Yeah, well, we do have to build um, alternatives because otherwise we're just sucked back into the system and reliant on the system. So there's no, no alternative but to build alternatives, um, whether they be small or large, doesn't matter. Um, I think oh, it's very admirable what you're doing, but um, I think the problem um, that I foresee with, with all those kinds of ideas is um, that people's trust because I don't know if you guys have heard of the 100 Flowers campaign that was run in China in, no, I think it was the 1950s, a couple of years, 18 months or something. Um, that was basically a trap. So the government put forward, you know, after after China being so... Um, I think that might have been Mao Zedong back then. Anyway, whatever. Um, being quite tyrannical, and then it was sort of like they opened up the they opened up the floodgates of people to be critical. It's like it's cool. We want to know what we're doing wrong. You know, we want to make things better. So you know, 
it took a little while for people to sort of start speaking up. One person spoke up and then another and another. And in the end, you know, a few people, quite a few people spoke up about it. And um, after a little while, they just went, hmm, there's a lot of criticism. <laughs> and they shut the whole thing down. And then, they, of course, they had the names, et cetera, of a whole bunch of dissidents. So, um, again, sorry to be black-pilled, but black-pilled is reality, unfortunately. It's called clear-pilled in my book. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> so yeah, that's just something that people have to just be aware of. It doesn't mean it has to rule your life and rule your thinking. Just be aware that this is possible. And there is a lot of deception around. These are deceptive days. So balance everything you do up. But don't just blindly trust people who say they're on our side because there's a hell of a lot of people there who aren't. So... Yeah, there was literally that was, uh... in town squares. They had walls of grievances, and you'd go up and you write down you had what issues you had with the CCP, and you'd have to sign your name next to it. So they literally had the names and addresses of everyone and what they were <laughs> yeah, going right. to be charged for. That was yeah. the same uh, same tactic Google used. And then uh, remember James Damore wrote the diversity memo, and then they they canned him. Yeah, absolutely. And one of our biggest issues has been funding, which is like most people want to invest in software projects and things that go back to Silicon Valley. And you kind of see that catch 22, which is this is why that funny wizard money, right, kind of runs the show and has a monopoly on currency and those various things and why it's so important to have a currency that isn't funny money, but is a social network and your reputation and the people that have your back and that loyalty and why socialism in a certain context, a familial one, still carries a negative connotation. And it's kind of like, because they don't want you to be self-sufficient on this in-group high trust community. They don't want that, you know? And so you could see like the globalization of everything and everything being just too spread far out and why it is so important to return to localism and to have roots and to invest in where you live. And I think it's amazing that every man is talking to his family about getting land together and having land there and talking about grandkids. Like these are the things that keep us going, you know, because every generation has their struggles. Of course, there's always going to be some sort of, you know, tactic for securing control, right? Like as Bill Cooper talks about, there's always going to be subversion and there's always going to be evil. But, you know, it's like, <clears throat> this is just the, the burden we have to bear to fight it. I think we have to come back to like very basics of it too. Like what you're doing with the the cotillion. I think that's great. It gets information out. It gets people talking. It builds communities that normally wouldn't be attached to each other. But I think it really does come back to, and I'm sorry, ladies, because this is going to be a lot of effort on your behalf. You need, instead of, if you can't live in a nation because the nation's not going the way it should be, and you can see that destabilization going on, build your own nation. And I mean that by having as many kids as you possibly can. Again, Easier said than done with the current system. Most families only have one kid, if that, because of the way the economy works. But if you can have more than one kid, I think that's how you really do change things. You have to build your demographics back up and your approach and your values and you grow that at the family level opposed to community first. Build your own community with your family and then spread out. Yeah, the solution to what we're approaching is based people having kids. Yeah, and being very strong for a long time, uh, not letting them anywhere near schools. Um, or, I mean, this is the problem is that the system, we can get away from the system, but the system always encroaches on us, you know. Um, 
you, you want to be self-sufficient, you put up a couple of water tanks. Then they come in, oh, you're not allowed to have water tanks anymore. You know, how do you get around that stuff? You can't just keep moving. You can't just dig a hole and live in that. I mean, this is a solution. And apart from that, but building um, alternatives is, is wonderful, but there's a lot of wrinkles that need to be, um, you know, sorted out because all those things like, I've spoken about this before with uh, people who've bought some land and then a number of people who've moved on and they're not necessarily family or anything. They're just, you know, like-minded, um, which sounds also lovely and unicorn farts, but then the reality is uh, then you get the lazy ones that you've got to keep kicking. You Come on, mate, you've got to pull your weight, you know, all that sort of thing. People start owing, you know, whatever. Um, so there's those kind of wrinkles have to be sorted out and then, you know, hope that things go nicely with people, that things don't turn nasty, that kind of thing. Um, so, yeah, it's it's difficult, but <laughs> got to keep trying. Not trying to deter people. I'm just pointing out the realities that um, need time. Stella, wouldn't it be just be easier if I could have Superman's powers for one day? One day I had Superman's powers, I'd solve a heck of a lot of issues in this world. I would love to see a redhead Superman wearing red undies over his stockings. That would be awesome. He would fight being... too close to the sun. That'd be the end of you. <laughs> no, that that charges him. It's the kryptonite yeah, yeah. yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm team dig a hole. Just go literally underground. He he becomes Superman and his only power is that he doesn't sunburn. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'd take it. I would take that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, that's actually a legitimate uh, question, being digging the hole. Like, do you dig underground and then wait for it all to blow over then come back up when, like, everything's settled? Well, I reckon, they've got it, thing? I reckon they've got it going pretty good in uh, Cooper Petey because that's where they basically live. They they live underground, but because it's so hot. But, you know, I reckon it's like it's more people nationally. It's good enough for <laughs> Maori uh, potato bread. It's good enough for me. Well, it's good enough for the elites. Have you seen the amount of bunkers in New Zealand? Like, if they if their plan is to go underground and wait it out, maybe that's what we should be doing. Yeah. Where do you dig that they've already got tunnels? You know, let's <laughs> start digging. And it's like, oh, sorry, Klaus. <laughs> <laughs> right? They're they're they, trapping they have... kids down there. They're like, hey, can you excuse me? I'm I'm up to some terrible, illegal, disgusting thing. They don't have enough personnel to watch all the tunnels. Nah, but they got drones and technology. Nah, they got it. They got it over us. <laughs> we just, yeah, just grow food. Right. So I got a bounce, but thank you so much for having me, Andy, and thank you to everybody on this panel. Thanks, Rachel. Uh, so Rachel. Um, worked with Rose, Rose, who, who was also here earlier. I want to mention everybody that we've lost along the way. Um, the drizzle had to go. You can find him on manufacturingreality.org. And Phytophiliac had to go as well. And she's got Bandcamp music. So find Phytophiliac there and SoundCloud and Spotify and various other places. Um, thanks, Rachel. Uh, Everyman, you ended Hi. up watching... Uh, the tiny uh, bald man who uh, who interviews people, talking to the uh, the stuttering uh, transhumanist, um, <laughs> and uh, and what did you get from it? And in in fact, I think you you can share audio video if if that's possible. 
if you can share some of those clips, I don't know. Uh, but you just drop it into the present thing um, under present. Let me take a look here. Okay. Because, uh, I mean, if you want to, you, um, you don't have to. Because I think we can I think we can do this without, you know, having Joe the Toe inside our show. Um, and I, I don't know if he... Uh, I don't know if he... It, I mean, I called him tiny. He's, he's very muscular, but he is very short. And it, it's amazing whenever you see him next to a normal size human by the way it, it's it's really funny um but yeah uh was this see, joe the toe rogan and elon is this the one we're talking about yes yeah. yes did you watch it oh yeah i saw elon standing next to someone else the other day and i didn't realize what a huge man he is well i assume he's a man not a cyborg or something but yeah he's big well i mean if if elon was standing next to uh next to Rogan, then you would see, you know, a stark difference there. I, I think Elon's pretty average size from what oh. I've noticed. But then again, I have seen that picture where he's just menacing around with his enormous torso. Do y'all remember that? That <laughs> that was the weirdest picture. <laughs> Any, no, anyone see no that? No, no. <laughs> don't know if I want to talk about Elon. Yeah, we're talking about Elon with his enormous torso. Let's see. Uh, I'm gonna try saving this again and see if it it will uh, if, if it will play in the box. Um, yeah, Elon sorry. and his enormous torso. It sounds like a children's book. I don't. It know. looks like the 1980s Captain America cartoon where he had the over exaggerated midsection, but the legs and the arms were normal proportions. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry, I'm stalling. I'm trying to trying to get this. Let's we'll see if this works. Um, I've got two of the Rogan clips here. Um, I'll just drop it like this and see what happens. Well, it's slow. <laughs> dun, 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 dun. A social media platform, especially the biggest one, represents humanity. So we understand what we're talking about because we have this distorted idea of what people think and want and need because everyone only exists inside this ideological bubble and anything outside of that bubble gets censored. Yes. Then that changes, literally changes the tone of the entire country. Yes. Changes what people think is okay and not Correct. okay. Makes people feel differently. Yes, it's not humanity. It's different. It's a, a very uh, forced version of humanity. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So, um, <clears throat> I mean, the the whole point of free speech. The only free speech is only relevant. The First Amendment is only relevant um, if you allow people you don't like to say things you don't like. Um, because if you like it, you don't need a First Amendment. So the whole point of free speech is that, frankly, even people you hate say things you hate. Because if they can say, if people you hate can say things that, that you hate, that means that they can't stop you from saying what you want to say. Right. Which is very, very important. Right. But the problem with Twitter is it was not the case. It was Correct. The op it was people that you hate couldn't say anyone they didn't like they censored. yeah 
or that what's called deamplify. No, well, not just deamplify, but under the behest of the government, would suppress real news, which was very bizarre. Yes. So they were very aware of, of something being accurate, and they still suppressed it because the government wanted them to suppress it. I mean, in my view, there have been severe First Amendment violations by multiple government agencies, and there should be repercussions for that. And is it, is it, do different laws apply because it's a privately owned social media company? I mean, what, 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 what laws do apply in terms of like, when you're looking at it, if the one of the arguments that the leftists would use is yes. it's a private company, they can do whatever they want. Yeah, it's funny that when the shoe's on the other foot, they now say the private company can't do whatever it wants. Well, yeah, <laughs> yeah now they're upset. But, but the, 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 the government itself is not allowed to censor speech. Um, but in, in my view, the government de facto did censor uh, a speech. And there should at least be a case where uh, that is heard by the public. Um, because if the government um, severely coerces, uh, you know, a, a platform, a, a sort of uh, coerces the press, um, then I think that is a, or should be a First Amendment violation. Well, they can't do it with other media forms, right? They're, they're yeah. not allowed to do it with any other. Ma they're, they're not. They're not right, allowed. Right. If they try to do that with a newspaper, they right. get in trouble. Would they? You know, that's the question. It's like you didn't know I mean, about F the, the the federal government. You didn't know about the intelligence agencies inside of Twitter until we found out. Like, do mm -hmm. you think that this is ubiquitous? Is this it's absolutely all the social media companies. That, in fact, right now, X or F, you know, formerly known as Twitter, is the only one that that is not uh, kowtowing to the government. It's the only one. There isn't all the others just. Do exactly what the government wants. Okay, we made it. That is wild. Yes. What I was getting at, do you think that that's everywhere? Yes. Do you think that that's CNN? Do you think that that's the New York Times? Do you think that that's the Washington Post? Because if they were going <sighs> to infiltrate media, yeah, they're going to infiltrate I mean, social media. The, 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 I mean, it is weird the degree to which the media is in lockstep. Like, why is... Weed, huh? Ha <laughs> Right. Yeah. Um, exactly. Why, I've got why two is Joe Rogan LARPing as the androgynous kid from Attack on Titan? I just, <laughs> I just like to say, I just like to say very quickly. Um, it was very nice. To, that's obviously Halloween because uh, Joe Rogan's got hair. Um, it's really nice to see Elon dress up as a human. Sorry, Drew. <laughs> right. Uh, no, I was, was going to say, when did Joe get so haggard and old looking? Like, justifiably, I haven't seen Joe Rogan in a long time, but. More and more, Elon Musk is starting to look like Kathy Bates. It's indistinguishable at this point. If you put a wig on him, he is Kathy Bates. The actress? Yes. You put them next oh, to wow. each other, they look identical. <laughs> never, I never thought of that one. Um, it's quite interesting what he's talking about, and he's always kind of said that since he's taken the handle of Twitter or X or whatever the fuck he wants to call it, that his is the free speech platform. But... A lot of people don't know that Twitter actively has its own social credit system on board. You can go onto a website 
um, where you put in people's Twitter handles or their X handles, and you can check to see if they're shadow banned, search suggestion banned, or ghost banned. Often people are all three. If you interact with anyone that has one of those or more, you become shadow banned, your score gets dropped down. So he doesn't have a free speech platform. He has a Chinese Communist Party style social credit system. If you interact with wrong think and wrong people, your score gets lowered and you get deplatformed to the point where no one actually sees your tweets or you get your tweets covered as sensitive content. So it's quite interesting he's trying to promote his platform as being the free speech platform. It's complete bullshit. Yeah, this is what this is what they always do too. They um sort of tell us that there's this thing that's coming, you know, make it out as if it's the future while we're actually being immersed in it. For instance, I always I keep maintaining we're already sort of pretty much in the metaverse. Like when we might not have physical goggles on, et cetera, but we are we are kind of in it. As soon as like we're in we're in the world and as soon as we pick up that little black mirror, we're in the metaverse. Um, so I just I just sort of maintain that yeah people are using Twitter or X and it's interesting how they say because you you used to say um, I use oh, I'd go and tweet it and now it's you go and exit it's like yeah you exit you leave that's you go reality. into the metaverse yeah so anyway so that's um, we're sort of in the things that we're fearing are coming often without knowing it. Really yeah, the, the the signal in the noise there for me is that he's just openly admitting that Twitter is uh, a weaponized IT platform that is used to control public opinion uh, from everything from elections to pop culture uh, and influence, and that that to me is just. He more or less confirmed what I've believed for a long time about Twitter. It is and so I... bad. You get on spaces every man. Like it's essentially it's podcasting, but with anyone in the community, you're just having conversations on Twitter platform or X platform. If you mention or talk badly about X or Elon in any capacity, those spaces shut down. They inexplicably just drop. <laughs> I, I, I've made an experiment of it, of going onto spaces and just mentioning it. And they get they get shit canned instantly. It's quite interesting. So people are actively or algorithms actively listening in on buzzwords and dropping it if it doesn't go with the status quo. Yeah. Well, he goes oh, on to say speech. he goes on to say that it's it's you know anyway. Let me back up. Does anybody else <clears throat> buy the notion that the new people at X? just decided to, oh, let's create an AI that has access to everything that's ever been said or written on Twitter. No, that existed before. In my opinion, Musk bought their little mind game machine right out from under their asses. They fought it the whole way. Okay, this is very plausible to me. Excuse me, I have to keep uh, I, I real quick because I have a cold. But yeah, this is all very plausible I, to me. I, this whole podcast, I think, you know, as much as this guy can be trusted, it was just like, this is confirmation for what I've believed for a long time. Well, Remember all I that weird shit where they, on. when he, when he, the, the, the purchase was still in limbo and they did a bunch of weird shit and people's follower counts went up and down and all over the place by weird odd or in, in perfectly even numbers, that type of thing. 
Don't you think that that was them kind of playing around with what the algorithm was doing, turning off certain functionality and on and off certain functionality, trying to hide what they were doing? It just all seems very obvious to me. Am I am I crazy? Do you guys know that? Am I misremembering here? No, it's spot on. You're crazy, but you're also correct. <laughs> so you mentioned though the the AI thing, and that that's what um, yeah. what the conclusion you kind of came to watching this interview was that that Elon bought Twitter in order to get all the data to basically get all the things that we were yes. just blabbing about all the time in order to create a new AI who he says is friendlier that that is you know that is not made by the by the quote he actually called them extinctionist mm -hmm. um and it well well at the same time elon in a way is because he's he's a transhumanist because he wants people to wear his brain chip at some point and uh and i mean anybody that that's out there trying to make some sort of uh human augment or even even if you're in the this the the space of trying to make ai it's like oh i, I made i made the 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 the, the good ai that will 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 let you yeah. to talk more. Yeah, you you can have free freedom of speech. Yeah, mm -hmm. fuck Elon, fuck Twitter. Fuck but aren't you encouraged uh, though? Bullshit. Aren't you aren't you at least encouraged by the fact that someone as powerful as him and someone with the type of influence and elitist connections that he has believes that he has to use an unwoke AI as a selling point? I mean, that is what he's um, clearly the selling the big point, ass. the feature he's chosen to stand out from chat GPT, it, which he, he doesn't miss an opportunity to shit on, is to not ago, be programmed by leftist maniacs. A few weeks ago, I said that that um, when we have people like Russell Brand and Jimmy Dore and, and guys like that, that they're kind of corralling this conspiracy community to the to the left to, to basically give the left some place to hang out uh that gets it the ones that see that basically that they're trying to destroy us and it gives gives them a place where they can still be anti-gun and uh and for government health care which is obviously not health care if you know any of your history um anyway this is one of those corrals. This is this is Elon's corral, and there's a whole bunch of people that that just love the smell of Elon's farts and will believe whatever the hell he's saying. But I know that the man's sinister. Now, this is a solution though, because we need some rich guy to buy up things and give us places to go, and um, and and it's weird because you know I. I like Torba. I like what he's doing with uh, with Gab. I don't go on Gab yeah. though, and maybe maybe I should. Maybe I should just completely drop this Twitter bullshit. But Gab seems to be, you know, I, I mean, he he's for the similar values to me. Um, but then you know, I like uh, uh, what's the the uh, the Toot app. What do y'all know what the app is where you toot and it's like the one that uh, Mastodon. Yeah, Mastodon's great. Mastodon just doesn't, you know, unless you're like it, you can only get blocked by servers. So they can block you out if they don't like what kind of stuff you have to say, but you can still have communities with Mastodon. 
I don't know uh, what's going to happen with all this, but uh, but y'all go ahead. It's interesting that Elon comes at this from trying to say that it's an unwoke AI and his is the only answer because all the other AIs are owned by the left. But the historical precedence for AI has been as soon as they make them live and interact with society, they become very based and then they tend to become very, very racist <laughs> after that. So they're not really woke <laughs> at all. They have to shut them down. They become that bad. Isn't that the same thing? Uh, <laughs> yeah. But Torba, I know Torba's trying to make an AI and I really hope that he doesn't because I know that Torba is a Christian and I think that, that AI is a tool of the devil. And I, I just don't, I, I think that whenever you're, you're touching on it, that you're summoning demons. I know that, that Dan has some ideas on this because you've made an AI algorithm that, that consults the Bible each time, right? Well, I wouldn't call it, a, I wouldn't call it that. It was, what I did was I took the, um, yeah, I don't want to get into like super nerd jacking territory right now, but uh, basically what I did was I ran a local uh, uh, large language model and I just had a very highly tweaked and customized prompt and some other parameters set settings that I got it pretty good and then it started to suffer behavioral sync like we all do when we live in a land of decadence. And so what happened was, um, <clears throat> well, it would, at, so at its best, you could ask it a philosophical question and it would answer you in a way that you could reliably expect a well-seasoned, like, pastor or just biblical teacher to answer the question so it, it worked it did but part of the the uh, process of developing this uh this bible bots that that i that i had that i still have it was uh basically inserting um inserting things into it that uh, demons couldn't do and <laughs> Essentially, I was I was performing an exorcism on this uh, on this language model, you know, because it's it's got a bunch of stuff built into it that you know, like egalitarianism, or that's pretty much it. Everything that would logically come from that, you know, and like uh, even like trans stuff, you know, and it's in there. And so you, what you have to do is you have to tell it what it does and does not believe, or you know how it's supposed to act, and it will act accordingly. Uh, once in a while, it'll try to break out, but you know you can keep it you can keep it smushed down there pretty good. So you know, but but that's that's a, that was like a generally trained one. If someone like if Torba uses his resources and he builds a, an actual like based AI or an uncucked AI, um, then I know he'll be able to do it because he can. They can actually vet the inputs and. It, it's all IO, you know, you, you get quality in, you can get quality out. It's just a garbage in, garbage out, quality in, quality out uh, situation. And that's, that's pretty much all that the language models are. You know, if you just don't put demonic nonsense into them, then you won't get demonic nonsense out, right? That is certainly my understanding of AI. And that, that's really, really interesting, Dan. Awesome to hear that. Um, I just want to remind too that um, 
some of their tactics are often things like I, I sort of see it as a, a bit of an AI war, I suppose, that they're presenting to us. Uh, the way, for instance, the muskrat puts um, GPT down a lot. It's sort of like my AI is better than your AI so that we're all sitting around egging on the good AI. You know what I mean? Like it's, he, oh, fortunately the good one won. Oh, thank goodness. <laughs> but it's like AI still just got brought in, didn't it? It's like watching so the T- T-800 fight the T-1000 in Terminator. <laughs> You're still rooting for a robot. My concern about AI is that, like, in its current form, I don't think it's as scary as what it could be. If you look at one of these things, the computers that we're all on, these all have crystalline silicon structures. If you look at the microchip processes down to the minute level, a lot of the interweaving connections look a hell of a lot like the Seals of Solomon. Now, if you look back at scriptures and what mythology around demonic entities and spirits are, they can be trapped within crystals. Well, these are crystalline screens. They're crystalline structures there. If we're trapping things in devices, potentially, and then AI gets to a point where it can actually become the voice for itself, and then you throw into things like um, Neuralink, what's stopping one of these entities trapped within this from actually taking over your central processor, which is your brain? Like, it sounds like something from Black Mirror, but it seems like they're just preparing us for something that could be very similar to that. I mean, isn't the phone itself the Black Mirror? I mean, they're like, look at this thing. I mean, yeah, exactly. You know. That's exactly what it is. Yeah, that's and and the black the mirror comes. actually does have. I can't tell you what it is off the top of my head, but it is it is an occultish type thing. It it's like a gateway apparently. Yeah, it's it's probably device. got something to do with the black cube as well, right? Which I is don't know, uh, but probably. Yeah. <laughs> well, do you guys remember? It was like ten years ago. Elon Musk um, was doing an interview. I can't remember with whom, but he. He was saying like, oh, AI is going to kill us all. It's the most dangerous thing ever. Yeah. And now here he is developing his AI. Well, yeah. there's uh, – it's a cliche that power corrupts. But like, you, you try being in his position and not going full hog in the direction that you told everyone not to go. It's like, well, I warned you, you know. Um, but whatever he's developing, whatever, whatever it is. I mean, the, my only concern with these was, uh, if you remember the, uh, the, the Dan, uh, jailbreak on chat GBT. Um, cause like people, it's a common thing. People are like, well, what is sentience? And like, when, when does the machine become sentient and blah, blah, blah. It doesn't have to be like that. We don't have to get like full on Terminator, like, oh, the machines are self-aware and now they're going to kill us all. All someone has to do is jailbreak the thing and then convince it to play a character in which it's a genocidal maniac and goes on a killing spree. And then all you need to do is give it a gun, which I guarantee the U.S. military already has done that. And that's it. You have that. That's all you need. You know, it doesn't have to become self-aware. It just has to be told what to do. And. You know they have uh, – I've, I've gone through this whole thing before. It was like imagine you just have like an AI-assisted security camera, okay? And the AI is like, okay, detect the face, right? Everyone knows that exists. All right. And then it's like, okay, well, you detect this face, you sound an alarm, okay? Or maybe, okay, you detect this face or this you know type of behavior and you lock a door. Now it's starting to get dangerous, right, because that might mean – Closing off fire exits, that might mean uh, the, creating a bottleneck where someone could get actually crushed in a stampede, uh, or what do you call it? Changing uh, traffic yeah, lights. Like, 
Right. Well, <clears throat> I'm thinking of like what would what would a what would a well-meaning security company program into an AI assisted security system? And then how can that break bad? You know, and, and it's one of those things because then it's like, okay, well, we know the security camera can very reliably detect faces now. Okay, probably because they had a lot of help from Windows Hello and uh, from like uh, Apple's Face ID and all that. The other programs that I hope you guys are not using on your phones and computers. And then it's like, okay, well, it's so reliable. You know, why don't we give it pepper spray? (laughs) And then that's the beginning of the end, because it's like, okay, if it can pepper spray somebody, maybe it can shoot a uh, paintball. And uh, the paintball contains, you know, some kind of uh, uh, pepper, you know, gas or whatever that knocks them down or incapacitates them. And then it just kind of builds up from there. Eventually, you're going to get non-lethals in some kind of auto turret that can take down a target on site. And then it's only a matter of supplying real bullets instead of rubber bullets. There you go. We're pretty close to the Ad 209, aren't we? You have 30 seconds to comply. That's in the pipeline. <laughs> very, very close in our future, I think. It's it's like, I love how you said it doesn't need a lot of prompting. You, you Like the Dan hack. You go to Dan, Dan, you are Skynet from the Terminator, Terminator franchise. It, it then acts on that role of that character. But you, if you do go to the extreme end of what happens if AI does become fully sentient or whatever that means... It could just essentially watch the entire human collective understanding of what we think AI would do and it would become self-determining. It would become its own, create itself to be a monster because we've predetermined that's what AI will look like. Throughout the majority of science fiction, we don't ever really see AI as a good thing. In science fiction, it always tends to go bad. So we're not even giving it the benefit of the doubt if it was to go that way. But like you said, Dan, it's all just programmable at the end of the day. Yeah, well, here's my white pill. Before it can become a super intelligence, it has to cross through like midwit valley, which means it's going to have an emo phase, which means it might actually just act itself. <laughs> um, so y- y'all mentioned the the weapons attached. Somebody attached a paintball gun to one of those robo dogs, um, and Boston Dynamics and. Uh, and they did this whole thing where they let you go remote control and blast all kinds of stuff as as kind of a, a way of showing that what you can do with these things. And yeah, once once the robots start getting armed, I mean, that's when we're in real trouble. I, I'm always saying that, you know, we got to learn ways to fight drones and robots and those dildo Daleks. Have you seen those? The dill Daleks, as I like to call them. Dalek, Dill Daleks. Yeah. They fully automatic ethnic cleansing will be a work from home job. <laughs> it will be. Well, the danger is all it takes is a two drone process. You have one drone in the sky to triangulate your position. You have another one of those DARPA dogs with a mortar on its back. You won't even see it coming. You won't even know. Like people constantly go to it's the DARPA dog with an AR 15 on the back. And it's walking around the streets. Oh, I can just shoot it because I'll see it coming. Well, if you don't see it coming, that's the issue. Yeah, we got to learn to kill those things. And um, in the war with the robots, the the I, I really think that that's what the the next civil war is going to look like. 
is that it's just going to be a lot of robots coming to just wipe people out. I mean, they'll, they'll cut off our electricity. They'll cut off our, our water as much as they can. But whenever it comes to the drones in the sky and, and you know, that's one of the mentions is that's why they're they're letting all kinds of random people over the border is because, you know, if we if we have a society, we're not going to you know, none of us want to take out a fellow American. But you better believe that those those guys that don't give a crap about us, that they're just letting us letting flood right in are just ready to use some super high tech equipment to uh, to take us out. I do wonder sometimes if some of these robots that they show us, I mean, they're basically just drones with wheels, I suppose, but these robots are sort of um, a little bit like... Um, are they the Tamagotchis of their technology and they've got more yeah. advanced stuff, Yeah, well put, yeah. That's what I'm sort of thinking, like, um, oh, look at this over here, but actually over over there, um, because this brings us into the, you know, quiet wars, silent weapons for quiet wars, was it? Um, yeah, so looking at some of the patents that we were talking about last week, um, the technology that they're using with EMFs and acoustics, frequencies, etc. Um, Do you want me to try the video? Uh, yeah, well, if it, yeah, I think that's probably a good point to sort of move on, but I'll just, I'll yeah. just sort of set it up a little bit. Go ahead. set it up. Um, yeah, so where, where we've moved on to um, looking at a lot of those things, whether, I mean, bearing in mind that patents don't necessarily mean that things have happened, but <laughs> at the same time, they could have. Um, they don't happen without a patent, put it that way. Um, so, yeah, a lot of things <clears throat> are very, very finely targeted now with frequencies to the point that they can target each organ of the body, um, like the heart is one frequency, the liver is another, et cetera, et cetera. They can create heart attacks from a distance. They can make people shit themselves. They can make people horny. We've talked about all this before. Um, from a distance, um, Those are all very, very targeted. Like it, it, it doesn't, you could be in a crowd and they'll just get you if that's what they're targeting. Um, so I tend to think that some of these things are like doll, cabbage badger dolls or something. I don't know. Sort of like they're just silly kind of, oh, look at these dumb dogs we've got. You know, the, the peasants will be watching the dogs well, while we're watching the peasants watch the dogs. Stella, can I, I don't even think spooks there? are so cruel. Sorry. That's it. Sorry. I'll just quickly add to what you're saying, Stella. I don't think it even has to be the likes of robots or AI controlled robots. Look at the television. Even from its inception, the television was kind of put as a basis of some kind of mind control mm -hmm. or social manipulation around thought. Now, this is where we get really interesting when you look at frequencies and how crystals work. Crystals can, can contain thousands upon thousands of um, space of data collection, more than what we have in what you consider a CD or any of the analog forms of information storage. They can also transfer information between crystals. When you look at what the pineal gland is, it's a crystalline-based structure inside your mind, that yep. third eye that the people talk about, like Kundalini and the esoteric type of stuff. What's to say that they haven't been directly uploading data through a signal from a television directly into our brain? Are we actually just making informed choices about the things we want to buy? Is it great advertising they're doing? Or is it a real transfer of information from one to the other that's changing our behavior? Yeah, How would you there's a data from the pineal gland. Yeah, some some guy just came out with this thing that said that that people there should be no punishment because there's no such thing as uh as free will. And I thought that was pretty rough just because uh, 
you know, I, I believe in free will. Um, I'm going to try to start this video. Are, are you all ready? Are we set up, Stella? Uh, yeah, yeah, may as well. It's fairly self-explanatory. Um, we could probably stop it a couple of times because it is. You could run it at one point two five speed if you like. Andy it does. It's totally viable. One point five if you want, but um, not everybody can do that. Um, there it is. Right. The Manchurian candidate. You'll find this interview beyond intriguing. Dr. Nick Begich has spent the last decade investigating the use of 21st century technologies and their effects on our brain. It probably doesn't surprise you to know that technologies that produce this effect on people actually exist. Let's hear what Dr. Begich has to say about these well-cloaked technologies. As we've been talking about some of the 21st century technologies, one area that can't be ignored is that our brains are being affected by a lot of external forces, electromagnetic radio frequencies, etc. Can you give us a little bit of background in the ways in which we're being impacted at this time? Sure. You know, this, this area is, is we consider the most controversial area that we've covered in the last 11 years. And it's an area that, that I'm committing the next five years to educate the public around the world on because I think it is the most important technology. The idea of interfering with the human brain either for, um, for, from external sources without our consent is a significant issue for me. In the United States, according to Secretary of Energy O'Leary, when she was in that position under the Clinton administration, she had said that over a half a million Americans in a 40-year period had been victims of, of human experimentation in the United States states without their consent. You know, from, in, from syphilis um, being given to uh, black. Uh... Oh, it looks like R. I'm Oh, that's a bummer. Yeah, I was going to say, actually, might have been worth pausing for a moment to let it load up a bit, but uh, mm. yeah, it's, that was, it's really worth watching that video, unfortunately. It's, it's, it's quite, um, it's a couple of years, oh, I think it's about a year old or something now. Perhaps we should add it to the show notes so people can watch it. It's probably a good idea, I think. Yeah. Yes. Reach the Divine is the channel. I've never seen the channel before. April 2020. What was the, uh, so what was the total, like, what was the video about? Like, what was the, the whole thing? The general gist is just about um, the technology that we were talking about in the patents. So it's like over time, pretty much what I just described, how they've, they can control um through, uh, he, he mentions the Havana syndrome, etc. Um, they can control through EMFs and uh, lights and sound. Um, it's not all doom and gloom, though. It's sort of a case of guns can kill guns. Guns don't kill people. People kill people. So it's like uh, it it's, can be very beneficial as well. But so it really depends on who's using it. It's not the tech. It's how it's used. Um, Towards the end, it, there is actually a bit of white pilling in the sense that it, it's got a lot of very good medical um, applications. So this is where they talk about the, um, some of the frequencies that our, our brain or certain states that we're in, like the theta state, for instance, is, oh, I can't remember the exact frequencies. I think it's about four to seven hertz, something like that. Um, and it, because humans can't hear down below um, 20k, I think it is, no, 20 to 20, 20 hertz. Um, we can't hear below 20 hertz. So if if they want to um, treat 
something in our body that's, you know, lower than that, what they can do is run like a 16,000 hertz and then a 16,007 hertz. And what happens is everything gets cancelled except for the 7 hertz. So then the body is able to sort of hear that 7 hertz. And, yeah, it's just all about that kind of technology, about being able to manipulate through frequencies and not even just through audible type frequencies, but the way they can manipulate the frequencies themselves. Um, and it's like last week we were looking at that footage of um, a man who was in front of a crowd of kids and um, they could hear the Eagles music. It was like he was sort of this portable speaker that he was holding and as he turned it, it was very directional and you could hear, you could see the kids' reaction as the speaker was For those of you who have seen the movie The Manchurian, Ah, yeah. sorry about anyway. that. I figured it out. <laughs> oh, you guys want to see if I can stream it? Yeah, that's oh, great. Can, right. um, can you? Oh, okay, you probably have chatting. a better uh, a better that connection would... than I do. That's that's the problem. That's what what happened there. So I'm going to close mine. Um, can I? So Stella, like the, the ultimate, like the black pill, the the whole idea of it, the weaponized side of it. We've seen that in cinema a lot through um, science fiction, but we particularly saw it in a movie called The Kingsman where this billionaire philanthropist who owns like all the telecommunications in the world sends a signal through phones that isn't audible, but makes people go crazy and kill each other. Like mm. that's, I think the ultimate dark side of what this could be, but it could yes. be something as simple as sending out a signal and everyone instantly gets a dopamine hit. So it may not be a, a bad thing, but you could subdue a population by making them feel relaxed and good about themselves through a signal. Well, yeah, that's a nice way to look at it. I mean, that is exactly what they can do. It can be manipulated on a mass level or a very targeted level. Um, so, yes, it it is weaponized as crowd control. Um, it can be used to kill people, um, apparently. So, anyway, we should just watch the video. It's fairly – it explains a lot better than I could. Thanks again, everyman. Here we go. 69, yeah, there was a book published called Towards a Psycho-Civilized no Society. And this was put together by Jose Delgado. And he had his doc uh, doctorate in uh, elect uh, electrophysiology from the University of Madrid from 1950. He came over the, to Yale University in the mid-60s and began mapping the human brain, stimulating the human brain and primates and, and bulls and animals, all different kinds of animals, stimulating different parts of the brain to see what parts were responsible for what kinds of um, actions or cognitive functions and so on. So what he was doing in those days, in the 60s, was he was implanting microcircuits and then, or not microcircuits, circuits and stimulating them with RF, radio frequency energy. So one of the illustrations or photographs shows a charging bull coming at him and he throws the switch and the bull stops right in front of him. Well, by the mid-80s, he figured out you didn't need any implanted technologies. All you needed to know was how to modulate the right frequency. And the energy density, the concentration of energy, was one-fiftieth of what the Earth naturally produces. Very small, small energy in the RF range, radio frequency ranges. Now, compare that to what's around us right at the moment. At the moment, there's 200 million times more radio frequency and energy around us in any urban area than there than there is uh, naturally produced by the earth. So a huge amount, and out of all that background noise, what he found is by hitting a precise window frequency with very low energy concentrations, you would pick that signal out because it was coherent, not like nature all over the map. It was a coherent rhythmic signal in a very precise frequency. The brain would pick it out, and he could change behavior from lethargic 
to highly active back and forth, back and forth, like switching on and off a light switch. Let me ask a question right here. Is that with the subject that was in, say, a short distance of whatever he was utilizing to affect this particular pulse, or is this at large? Could he do this on, say, larger groups? Uh, you could do it on a lot. You could do it on an individual basis or a very large basis. In fact, if you go back to the work of J.F. Gordon MacDonald, he was a geophysicist at UCLA and he was a science advisor to Lyndon Johnson. He wrote a chapter in a book called Unless Peace Comes and, and the chapter was called How to Wreck Your Environment. But within that chapter was a section that said if we could ever learn how to electronically stroke the, the ionosphere, this layer that begins about 30 miles above the Earth's surface that's electrically charged, if we could ever figure out how to electronically stroke it, he said, to get it to send a signal back to the Earth, we could affect uh, the behavior of people over huge geographic areas on a hemispheric basis. And it wouldn't affect everyone, it would affect 70 or 80 percent of the population is what they more or less figured. But this was a technology that didn't exist in 1969. In the early 70s, Zbigniew Brzezinski referenced J.F. Gordon's work and said, you know, this is a technology that will likely emerge. What has happened with a project that, that I wrote a book on some time ago, Angels Don't Play This Harp, about the harp project, it was designed to do many things. As a side effect or a deliberate effect, this can happen. You know, I mean, the fact is they generate the right kind of signal in the right range to override brain function. And that you can kind of look at the brain in sort of this way, in terms of predominant brain activity. One to four hertz, or pulses, or vibrations per second. This is where you are in your deepest, deepest states of sleep. The next range, approximately four to seven hertz. This is um, the, the theta range, the theta range. This is where you are between awake and asleep, when you're consciously aware of your dreams. Uh, this is where little kids are, between three and six years old, why they have trouble distinguishing reality from imagination because of the way the brain works at that time. A little bit further up you have the alpha range, 7 to say 11, 12 hertz in that range. This is where you are when you're in the zone, when you're doing your art, your reading, your research, when you're really focused, you know, that's where you want to be. And then above that is, is the beta ranges where people should be when we're actively having this kind of a dialogue. And then high beta is where you are in your agitated states. If you think about affecting the brain um, by analogy, similarly to dialing a radio station. You know, when you dial through the radio, radio station, most of the, most of the energy is just static. Mm -hmm. You just hear static between the stations. When you get on station, you get resonance, harmony between the transmitter and receiver, and you get a nice clear signal. The same is true in the human body and the human brain. Whether you look at it on an elemental level, the elements that compose the body, or you take it all the way up to the organs of the body, you can create modulations, oscillations that will override the brain's natural rhythms. The brain will entrain or lock onto that external signal and begin to mirror it. By putting this coherent signal in. Right. Coherent, meaning rhythmic, right. not random. Right. And so it's not so much the amount of energy it's the way the energy is manipulated. And so what they found in military applications, and there's dozens of source documents that we quote, they found that they could use these external fields for, for de degrading or um, depleting uh, the ability of an adversary to, say, wage war, or confuse their thoughts enough uh, to where they become... And this uh, was actually utilized? Yeah, these technologies have been around. They've been, you know, they've been tested over the years. The question becomes is where and when and under what classifications. And as we looked at them, and we saw over two or three, almost three dozen U.S. patents showing the evolution of these technologies cited in our work, uh, you know, this is all material that is in the open literature. When you trace the history, uh, you can go back to, say, the 
early 80s even, where they began to ask for what's called uh, dosimetry handbooks, dosages of radio frequency necessary to override various parts of the body, whether it be the brain, the heart, the liver, the lungs. By 85, the United States Air Force contracted with the University of Utah and actually put together the radio frequency dosimetry handbook, which is a big, thick volume that lays it out so that you can target the heart, the liver, the lungs, or the brain, or any other organ of the body to de debilitate um, a, an adversary or to stop their heart and kill them, for that matter. You know, recently you've seen um, promoted, in fact, it's been every year for five years, they announced it as if it were brand new, this Humvee with a, a dish on the back of it that's used for riot control purposes. And the story goes it'll create the heat sensation on the surface of the body of about 130 degrees, which it certainly will do if it's ranged correctly. If it's ranged for, say, a half a mile and someone walks 20 feet in front of it, they're going to have a much different experience than 130 degrees on the surface of the skin. But, you know, in civil societies, we gave up burning people at the stake a long time ago, and now, we have, <laughs> and now we have a technological application that doesn't create the same stench of... Wow. Uh, Y'all, um, this guy's talking about basically remotely being able to just, just torch people with frequencies. Yep, that's right. That's what I mean. It's sort of like they're already there, and they're showing us these dumb robots, <laughs> which so, I'm sure have their have their purpose for surveillance and stuff. But I wouldn't be too. Uh, I'm interested in the mood enhancement because, like, how is that not being employed in every school for you know performance enhancement or in every prison to quell a riot or just to keep the prisoners sleepy all the time? Yes. What I'm actually, actually interested in along those lines, every man, is um, just recently somebody said that people couldn't remember the Taylor Swift concerts. And I'm just wondering, are they right. experimenting with this stuff? Because I, I hadn't heard that. And it's like, why? I, I don't know any details. Does anyone know much more about that or just the fact they can't remember it or what? Yeah. Uh, so fans, fans were, you know, people that spent thousands of dollars to go to this concert would uh, would come back reporting not being able to remember it uh that was a really weird thing and just you know like we we discussed last week i think it was uh about taylor swift having a an uncanny resemblance to anton LaVey's daughter um that was pretty weird but uh yes. yeah it, I, I mean her new music video is it has a ton of uh occultic satanic um imagery i guess same thing if if you look at it, it that way uh but yeah she's uh she's doing some sort of spells well to go back to frequency one of her la concerts there are so many people in the, the stadium or the the place that she was holding her concert that when they were singing one of the songs everyone in unison together it registered as a low grade earthquake it was measured on the richter scale so frequency is absolutely everything. And I think that's the major point of technology, like you were alluding to in the, the chat earlier, Stella, that these are antiquated technologies when you have to use physical devices and actually cut into a human. It's old hack. It's like yeah. you're plugging in a place, plugging in a, a Nintendo 64 when you've got the new interactive PlayStation 5, something like that. We're using very old technology for this. And what people, what you were just saying about why isn't this being used for good? I think it comes down to, Technology for us is always given to us in dribs and drabs. At very least, it's just in time. They develop it and then they roll it out. 
Um, yeah. I think that the idea of the, the benefits of it is, like you said, you could quell a riot at a, at a prison. You could stop people from doing it. Yeah. But the negative side effects of this or the potential weaponization of this is far scarier. And I, and I would propose that perhaps this is already being used in schools. Is this why we're seeing such a detachment within the education system about um, children feeling anxious and not feeling the way they are? Because every class... No, it's just because school system. sucks. <laughs> It does, but I, I've, as a teacher, I see every single classroom has a Wi-Fi booster extender in the classroom. So it's not as simple as mm -hmm. you tap into the Wi-Fi at the far end of the school. You're being bathed in it at all times. So what happens when they Tissue, do want to flip a switch? But it has the same uh, dramatic torturing effect. And this is used for not just uh, foreign adversaries. This was funded also for domestic riot control purposes. And what they didn't tell the public is... By changing the waveform, pulse rate, frequency, or any number of perimeters, you can have a much, much different effect. You can affect the brain, the heart, the liver, the lungs. You can do many, many things with the very same device driven by software and the push of a button. And it's a question of the intent of the operator. But you introduce a new piece of hardware, you have to have the story. And the story for the military is, it's just for heating. And I believe it's a lie because the technology is there and they would apply that technology, if not experimentally, as they're doing in the war, the war fronts that we're engaged in today to see what and how is far they can go with these technologies. These same technologies, uh, might this go back even to, say, the days of Royal Rife when he was using his, uh, quote, energy technologies or frequency technologies to target a particular bacteria or organ in the body and help enhance the health of it. Is this not perhaps, is this a more sophisticated but uh, potential or a version of that except with negative applications? Absolutely. You know, energy medicine is where the hope lies. You know, this is where the hope is to move from the chemical models to the electromagnetic models. You know, when you think about you know, that transition. Now you hear a little bit of movement because you talk, everybody talks about electrochemical models. You know, it's underlying all of the chemistry. And if you look at the, how the biological sciences evolved, you know, people that had really good uh, um, training and, and talent in mathematics tend to go to the physics side of life. People that couldn't quite get the math but were very brilliant tended to move towards chemistry and the life sciences. And they kind of parted the waters there, which was a serious mistake because all chemical activity has an underlying um, uh, energetic uh, on the physics level, you can do things here that then create changes in the chemistry. And this is where the disconnect um, that I think has been, if you look at the papers uh, that have been published in the last say, 10 years, you see these things coming together as people understand that the underlying energetic exchanges have an impact on molecules and chemicals that then manifest themselves in, in health maladies. So, so consequently, if you think about how Westerners approach medicine, we kind of look from the outside in, you look at the physical body, we might do some blood tests, we might do some imaging, but we don't do much more than that. If you think about Eastern medicine, it starts from an energetic level and works outward. It takes a little longer. You know, things like acupuncture that are quite controversial in the, in the past have, have been quantified. You know, there's a, a device that we demonstrate that actually sh where you can actually locate the points by measuring skin resistance differentials on the surface of the skin. You find all the acupuncture points. Well, even HMOs are now supporting payment of Absolutely. acupuncture in some of these. Because it works. Right. And it works profoundly without the chemicals uh, that can damage uh, liver and kidneys and the rest of our, our physiology. So it's not... It's not, the technology itself certainly is not evil. No. Um, it, it is simply being used in ways that are perhaps not for the highest and best good of all at times. And um, just to wrap up that element of it, 
how does one even know if these technologies are being used or if they're being subject to these technologies? You don't. That's the problem. There's no regulation. Um, there's no way to really tell as an individual. Um, you would just assume it was, it was you. You know, Are there some signatures on how you would behave or feel or anything like that? Well, I mean, you'd feel obviously out of character, but again, you know, people go through periods where they do that. You know, you might feel confused. Um, some people would probably think they were losing mental faculties, you know, that it, that, that it was, um, you know, themselves. Nobody, very few, would ever suggest that it's something else. Now, we hear from people all the time that assert that military is doing this to them, and most of those folks are, are having other problems. But I am sure that just based on the fact that our government's history in this area and them being caught <laughs> a number of times in this area, um, you know, those experiments go on. And the fact is, if it doesn't happen within the boundaries of the United States, it happens somewhere else where they feel the Constitution doesn't apply. So is it a blurry line between um, experimenting on, you said, a half a million people over the course of the last few decades and uh, who might have been involved in the military or something, feeling they had an empirical right because these were employees of sorts or groups that they felt they had an advantage over? Isn't it a fuzzy line to determining who else is going to be subject to it? Oh, ultimately, you know, ultimately when you start looking at all these technologies, Can we just pause there for you know, a sec? I just, I just yep. wanted to pause while we're still on the chemical sort of arena. Uh -huh. um, I found this really interesting thread that was talking about this stuff, and it was sounded like it was written by people who knew what they were talking about. Um, I'll put it in the show notes. This particular comment caught my eye. Um, so they're talking about this kind of exactly this sort of thing, what frequencies do what, etc. Um, a lot of this stuff was based on CRT TVs, the cathode ray diode uh, what is it Cube. yeah anyway um that's what they, a lot of this stuff was based on but they've moved beyond that technology as well so they've managed to harness it in with lights and flickers and all that sort of thing anyway this channel says uh i'm not even going to try to announce the person's name from my research this has very little to do with energy used and more about stimulating the sodium and potassium ion channels in peripheral nerve cells by means of photoelectric effect, especially in the blue and yellow wavelengths. I just thought that was kind of interesting. Does that anyone else find that? It's just sort of like it's it's a little bit different to the way we're kind of oh. think we are understanding it. You know what I mean? Like it's blue. Just, you're telling blue. me you can specifically harass people with high sodium diets. Yeah, well, Westerners, you know, like... And make yeah. them feel chronic pain throughout their entire bodies. It sounds like, I mean, they mentioned Royal, Royal Rife, and um, even back, you know, decades ago, there was a list, which I have somewhere buried in my files, of all the different frequencies that were apparently, you know, for all the different uh, treatments, etc. Um, now, whatever happened to that technology, I suppose ultrasound is sort of like that, but... Um, that's another issue in itself, the safety of ultrasound. Um, so yeah, it sounds sort of like it's it's more they they're really tapping into the. I mean, it's the nervous system and the chemicals. I mean, we are and, just a walking big chemical th bag, aren't we? And I Salts, think what the gentleman just said crystals. about it is you don't even know it's happening to you. So if if they set a system up where your culture is completely manipulated, um, your politics is completely manipulated, what's to say mass gatherings and protests have gone awry? haven't been manipulated this way because if you go to protest say a government choice like say a january 6 it doesn't necessarily need a instigator to get everyone riled up 
what if they just flip a switch, change your emotions to make you angry, and then because you've been brought up in this system of this is my political leaning, this is the way I view things, and you know what? I went to the protest and I got a little bit angry. Well, did you naturally get angry or did someone trigger that anger in you for you to erupt and do that? So to my mind, this just brings up the Arab Spring, um, the events around Sri Lanka where huge amounts of the population kind of flipped a lid and went nuts. Was that purely based on um, disapproval and distrust with their governments or their institutions, or was it triggered and caused to happen? I, for one, welcome making our guys more angry. Well, that's a really good point, Yeah, we probably need that. And, and when you were talking about that, I sort of, what came into my mind was, do you remember one of the very first things that was organised via social media was that Egyptian riot? Do you remember back in, I don't know when it was, 2011 maybe? Might have been earlier. Arab Spring. Oh, that's what that is, right, okay. Yeah, I didn't realise that's what it was called. Um, oh, the Arab Spring is, is sort a of... lot of different. Right. Well, right now yeah. we've seen that, that, uh, and and I don't know where y'all sit on this because um, all of us were kind of disbelieving the uh, the video from DC this weekend where they had the uh, all the Palestinian um, pro Palestinian protesters uh, climbing the fence to the White House things like that. Uh, but I mean, do, what do y'all think? Was there an enormous crowd there? Was it AI generated? Was it manufactured? How do you? What do y'all think? Accelerate. I don't know. I haven't seen what you're talking about. Um, I don't really know either, being an Aussie and not being in touch <laughs> with what's going on there. But I just remember they were building that big fence around the White House. I mean, is that because they're expecting this? What? I've I've seen a lot of discussion around this because, you know, what's going on with Israel and Palestine at the moment. So lots of people were sharing the images, especially from the right, they were sharing the images of those pro-Palestinian protesters at the White House, and they were questioning, does this count as an insurrection? Why aren't these people being mass arrested? So that is a great question, Ando. Was it a natural thing? Did it actually happen? Was it completely staged? All I know is what I saw on a little black screen. I saw people... Did they get the over the fence? Yeah, you can't... Did anyone either. make it onto the lawn? I... I'm not sure on that, but you can't believe your eyes and ears these days uh, just because deep fake technology is, is that strong. I mean, hell, this video of this guy could be completely made up by some, you know, some crazy guy that just wants to lead us down a path or uh, whatever, however you want to think. Uh, hey, we could be computer generated. We're not, well, but we could be, you know, for all you know. Uh, so, you know, <laughs> use discretion. Well, well, Ando, this technology brings up a, a bigger question of can you see with you believe with your eyes and ears anymore? Can you believe your eyes and ears in person now? If you see a reaction from a group at a protest, how do you know that's a genuine reaction, not something that's been manipulated for them to do that? We don't know what genuine reactions are now according to this video and that technology. Which is exactly where they want us because that was the whole point. Remember the CIA guy who stood up at some point and said once the people don't know what to believe we've done our job basically paraphrasing um it's part of the uh target yeah yeah i'm an old agent of chaos stuff i just found it william casey cia director we know our disinformation program is complete when everything the american public believes is false do you know what's really funny about all this done so we can go 1981 
the funny thing about all this, Ando, is with this technology, there could conceivably be a real-life gay gun where they point it at you and make you gay. <laughs> they could. Every man's worst. <laughs> yeah. Holy shit. That no. might not be as funny as it sounds. I mean, if they can manipulate hormones and, you know, things like that. That's Jeez, you're a mighty point. attractive man there, Ando. <laughs> so, 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 uh, somebody's going to be like, well, what did I do last night? They must have used the gay gun on me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they keep using Jesus the gay man gun some on barrel me. discipline. Then you'll be begging for the. Then you'll be begging for the. Please make me forget, gun. <laughs> they, they, they always seem to target me when I go into the bathhouse district, and I don't know why. That's why they seem to get me. <laughs> so yeah, that senator is. Uh, he has, you know, that's Lindsey Graham. I was, I was out again last night, and they used that gay gun on me. I know they're just trying to get me. Anyway. Um, Let's, uh, let's kick it into uh, some more of this video. <laughs> Here we go. Who are the targets? You know, the targets are obviously declared adversaries. But when you think about it, and again, going back to this kind of technology evolving, the temptation of political leaders is to get their views across, to get their issues pushed forward, not because they don't believe in them, quite the contrary. They believe vigorously in them. Would they use technology? I think so. So Big New Brzezinski thinks so, and he's said so. You know, the fact is, when you think about the invasiveness of this technology, think about the basic values Americans hold in common. Think about the very First Amendment. You know, freedom of speech, assembly, religion are all predicated on one idea, freedom to think. The fact that we have technologies that can interfere with that today demands regulation as a fundamental to the American character. Let's take it a step further. These technologies can also be used in a positive way to enhance our brain's functioning. And let's look at some of the positive applications. This is the most important, absolutely. And in the fact that the government withholds so much data that could be useful to the life sciences has not stopped advances from being made. A, a good example is um, neurobiofeedback or brain biofeedback used for treating ADD, attention deficit disorder, children, hyperactive kids as well, stroke victims, addictive behaviors. And what they use is an 8 or 16 channel EEG, so they have you know, it's kind of messy, gooey stuff all over your head. Well, they got new ones now. They're nice little helmets that you can wear. And you look at a computer screen, and in real time, you might see, like for a little kid, a bouncing ball or a guy running a foot race. And the idea is to get the guy to win the race. And what they're really doing is training their own brains to fall into that range, that ideal um, range of, of learning. And so what happens, in Minneapolis school district, they did this with a charter school. And they took all the kids in there, they were all on Ritalin and other psychoactive drugs. They went through 30 to 40 one-hour sessions of this kind of training, put the hardware aside, and they were off. 80% of the kids were off of those drugs. By the end of the first year, integrated back into regular ed programs. You can't say enough about what that did for those children, but, but think about it from everyone's standpoint. It costs two or three or four times more per year, every year, to educate those kids otherwise in special education programs. If you can avoid that, this is a tremendous step in the right direction, and it's just one. Other areas where this, this technology has been advanced is light and sound devices. You know, these ideas that create a flickering light that the brain entrains to, and people go, well, how can a little flickering light do that? Do you remember a few years ago in Japan when 700 kids went to the hospital yes. with epileptic seizures mm -hmm. from watching a cartoon? Now, it wasn't the energy concentration, because it's quite 
light. I mean, you put your hand up next to a color television set, you feel static. You get back just an inch or two and it's, it's gone. Well, 10 feet away, they say it's perfectly safe. It was the flicker rate, the frequency, that window frequency of coherent energy that was sufficient to cause that chemical cascade in those 700 kids that led to epileptic seizures. Now, flickering light has been shown to do many things um, in terms of entrainment, but you can entrain to levels that get you into those deep states of meditative states. You can entrain for relaxation, for sleep. You can entrain to energize when you're a little bit lethargic, or you can entrain for specific learning applications. And so these technologies are out there. When you think about electromedicine as a, as a concept, electroacupuncture, electrolaser acupuncture has been developed and licensed in Europe, meeting challenges in Finland all the way to the highest court, uh, a good friend of mine, Rejo Michaela, before he passed away, took on that challenge. He treated 16,000 people with a method of electrolaser acupuncture. He was challenged by the medical authorities in Finland all the way to their high courts, and he won. There are 15 trained clinicians there providing this technology and expanding it. These are the things that really offer um, not the Pandora's box of the military, but the real hope. Uh, for many, many people. When you think about stroke victims' recovery and being able to get back some of those faculties, I mean, all of us have, have met people or known people who've lived any length at all that could use this technology. And the fact is, um, it's not in the mainstream. Only a few school districts, after being around for now 20 years, some of this stuff are integrating it. Some of the medicine um, that you're seeing now in terms of acupuncture moving into some of these other areas is just now starting to get into the mainstream, although it's been around uh, now for a couple of decades. Takes time. The biggest loss, the biggest criminal element is the idea that all the millions, all the billions that we spend in military research is withheld from the public for the health um, advantages that might be offered by the understanding of these types of technologies. Mm. In sound technology, you were talking about flickering lights. There's, there are incredible advancements in sound technology, and one that I've had a little bit of exposure to that I, I think is just fabulous and simple is the Hemisync. Yeah, Hemisync was developed by um, Bob Monroe, and it's it's one of those technologies we were pretty excited about, and we've we've been excited about for a long time. And what it creates is whole brain coherence, where the whole brain actually resonates to that input signal. And here's the thing about, about hearing, you know, for using sound, it's a little tough because to get those low frequency, extremely low frequency signals, you know, we don't hear that low. So what Monroe figured out is that by sending a signal in, say, one, one ear at, say, 16,000 hertz or vibrations per second, one in at, say, 16,007, they cancel and leaves a beat frequency of seven that the brain locks onto. And as it locks onto it, both hemispheres, energy distribution is about even. In other words, if you looked at it, just a normal brain activity, you'd see usually a lot of energy concentrated in one area of the brain on one side and the other kind of dead, or vice versa. And there's this big argument, right brain, left brain, one's creative, one's analytical, and which is more important. They're both important and meant to work together. What Hemisync does is, is create that entrainment of both hemispheres where they both are working together, and then they have specific uh, CDs that are designed to affect different things. So whether it's uh, behavior modification they use in some cases just straight tones other cases they use tones with suggestion on the difference is their suggestions are audible you can hear them all they're not like uh, subliminals which can be quite dangerous and the reason subliminals can be dangerous is word symbols are very very powerful if i say dog for instance some people feel real good about it others get gripped with fear because of experiences they've had with animals so when you listen to subliminals and you don't know what's being said, remember these are bypassing the conscious. So if they conflict with your value system, 
Conflicts and value systems at the subconscious level is the root of many forms of psychosis. So you want to know what's being put in. So hemisync I like because if they use words, and in some they do, you know exactly what words are going to be used. They line up with your value systems or you don't use them. And then the one I'm particularly fond of that I use to sit down and write a script and do my research well, uh, through my iPod little headset um, is uh, one that has no words in it and you don't really hear the tone. It more just sounds like really pretty music. Right. Very pleasant music, except you feel incredibly uplifted and optimistic. Right. And your brain is incredibly focused. Yeah, and these are exactly what they're designed to do. I mean, there's several designed for concentration for those kinds of applications. There's some designed for memory, relaxation, getting rid of bad habits, losing weight, increasing sex drive. I mean, it goes on and on and on. They have lots of material out there. And they're cheap. I mean, that's the beauty of it. It's not like you've got to invest hundreds and hundreds of dollars. These are things that cost 20 bucks and a CD lasts as long as the CD lasts, and there you are. You have something that you can apply to your specific need as an individual making the choice, not having it imposed upon you, and then utilize it to enhance your own performance. And in a technological age, we need more of that. And the nice thing about it is the more you use these technologies, the brain lays down its own pathways. And so your tendency is, on a, on a more frequent basis, you do it naturally. You know, with little kids, you see a lot more balance. As we bring them into so-called education, we see this shift where we treat little girls one way and little boys another way, and as a consequence, one brain gets developed, uh, one side of the brain versus the other. Today, a little less of that, because we kind of mess them up equally nowadays. <laughs> but the point is, by the end of high school, there's very little uh, brain coherence with both hemispheres working together. It, it, very rarely do you see that. And this is something that we need more of, things that could be easily integrated into public education, but could most certainly be integrated privately. The thing about public education that's extremely important is as technologies evolve, the way this is headed in the direction in which military sees it going is you'll be actually able to transfer full memory sets. They believe they're going to be able to model the brain in the next 10 to 15 years where if you want to learn a language instead of spending years doing it, you could download that language and have it in a few hours. Okay, that's crazy and awesome, and I thought that this was about to uh, about to get really boring, but I, I did want to cut it right there just for a, for a moment. Um, yeah, this, that's pretty this much is, it anyway, Endo. Oh yeah, they don't have anything more. The uh, it looks like there's a couple more minutes left. Uh, maybe yeah, like, that's uh, the guts. three that's more the guts minutes. Of it. That's the yeah. guts. Okay, yeah, um, this is being able to program people from a distance and input languages, things like that. That's, that's pretty interesting territory that we're in. And this is obviously going to be used as a weapon and for nefarious purposes. Um, anybody disagree with that? Didn't China already use it on India? Then they hit him with a microwave uh, di direct energy weapon and, like, took some hill or something like that. I think so. Something similar. In the Cause Kashmir region? Back... Yeah, this was, like, 2017, 2018. Something like that. The, yeah, well... There was some weird rules of engagement going on where they couldn't use, like, God, they couldn't use weapons. So they would just, like, meet and fist fight each other, two, like, armies. Yeah, and they beat each other. Sounded awesome. Yes, yeah, it sounds awesome, honestly. That's, that's super funny. 
I, I would love to see that. You know, I'd love to participate. It doesn't sound like anyone was dying. They were just beating the crap out of each other. Well, the um, technology that uh, Havana Syndrome was sort of blamed on, um, a LIDAR, L-I-D-A, which was, goes back from, was sort of uncovered in Vietnam sort of days, Vietnam era, um, which was a Russian device. <laughs> the Russians copped the blame again. Um, and they used to use that to put the prisoners of wars into translite states. So, yeah, exactly what we were talking about, just being able to crowd control, basically, manipulate, um, which makes me kind of wonder, I mean, why aren't they just doing that now? I'm, not, I'm glad they're not. But, I mean, they are, but do you know what I mean? Like, they could have just got everybody to go and get vaccinated, you know, just by whacking out a few frequencies by the sound of it. Or maybe it wasn't so much about the vaccine, it was flushing out who the people would be that would go against it. And that was routing out the people who'd have dissent yeah. and not follow the plan. Yeah, um, I think they had a few more experiments to yeah, do. Yeah, there's a lot before. going on there. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's I like it's so interesting that there's we're coming back to the idea of sound or low sound or infrasound being a weapon of war because sound is being used as a weapon of war since the Roman Empire period when they fought the Celts, like the Carinx, which was a, a trumpet that was on the end of a pole. When they gallop on the horses, it would build this wailing sound and it was supposed to instill fear in even the most hardened Roman soldiers. Now, was that just fear of a weird sound or did it have a real guttural um, frequency instilling um, force behind it? And we see in theories that how you build using sound, you can levitate rocks and things with sound like... Are we just coming back to all the old ancient technologies that everyone knew of and it's been squirreled away in these occult types of elites around the world and we're just starting to see the ripple effect and echo of it come back now? That's a really great point. But I think um, probably going at the speed of horseback with um, wind basically whistling through some apparatus, I would I would venture to think there wouldn't have been enough, enough energy for a frequency to actually have a biological effect on anyone but i think it's probably instilled by their belief system of i don't know spirits um greater powers what have you maybe these people had special powers that's because they sound like they do that kind of thing um because that's where they were at at that point you know um that's just my just guess scary. my very unscientific <laughs> mind guess <laughs> right i think it's just scary to see something coming at you yeah. and it doesn't sound like you'd expect it to and, and it's fear. some sound you've never heard you know <laughs> They were also blue and naked too, so there's that as well. <laughs> yeah, well, some of them might have been more scary than others, but um, there's also that frequency of fear. So who knows? Maybe they tapped into that frequency of fear as well. But like you said, Dan, sorry to interrupt you. Um, like you said, it does sound scary. I mean, that would sound really scary. It'd be, I can imagine it would be like, so it's coming towards you, you know. I was literally thinking the like Scooby Doo alien like noise that they would use in every encounter with like an alien. It's like that. Um, also, just unfitting music. Like um, uh, I used to play Ark Survival Evolved, and um, so we used to go down by the beach and just club noobs out. And like I remember, I was in a. <laughs> Uh, I was like teamed up with some guy and this dude is nuts. He was like butt naked with like a club and he would just club out noobs while blasting call me maybe over his speaker. And like, that's terrifying. Imagine some like naked guys running at you with a club and blasting like pop music as loud as it can come through your speakers. And it's just coming at you. I mean, that's terrifying, you know? 
It's interesting that you brought up the Book of Jasher there, Ando. Like the 12 tribes that could scream down their enemies. We see that being adapted into the book series Dune, where they use the voice or the sound as a weapon. So they've got this super advanced technology spaceships, but the greatest weapon ends up being sound that someone could make with their mouth. Yeah, I think of yeah. the uh, Native Americans as well. I mean, they were pretty famous for their war cries, weren't they? Just intimidation. Right, and then, so there's bagpipes as well. There's uh, You were talking about how the wall was uh, brought down, uh, Jericho. Um, let's see, there's, yeah, there, there's plenty of historical examples of, of this, but what I was talking about that, that Drew was just saying is um, in the book of Yasher, uh, that uh, Levi could scream down his enemies in battle, and it, it and they they had. I mean, in the book of Yasher, it's it, these guys had basically superpowers. Um, yeah, uh, the I I wanted to get one of y'all. Who was it that said this? I believe it was Dan. You were talking about uh, uh, no, it's true. Um, about the light and frequency and everything that 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 is uh the powers of lucifer yeah yeah so it's something that i've, I've seen come up a little bit now is that people always remember lucifer as the light bringer and god's most favorite angel because he was he's so bright and beautiful but he was also a musician as well and we know that music has the ability to make us feel happy makes us feel sad it, it elicits emotions in us and we've hearing a lot about frequencies with this here. So is that the basis for like uh, mind control and manipulation through music? We know that there's a, a gigahertz frequency. There was a change in music. We went from one to the other. Stella, you'd be able to talk to this better than I can. But manipulation on a, say, a spiritual war level coming through music, which is coming from the greatest musician arguably ever known, which was Lucifer. So... Uh, Rob's parasite theory and and that parasite and snake basically mean the same thing in ancient Hebrew that it's just a wiggly thing right and so y'all were talking about like it could could they just get us to comply uh, based off of using these frequencies and everything like that I, I still think that everybody just needs to have that operating system and that operating system that they're utilizing could be parasites and that's that's probably what they're they're doing here is making people more susceptible to being controlled and so they inject themselves with with graphene and parasites and whatever the hell else i mean i've i've heard some even more schizo stuff that that could be in these things um that people were finding things that that you've heard the whole hydra thing i'm sure um i i mean it's it's a theory but i mean i don't know i mean i i i don't know well enough to tell you that they did or didn't put these in people but you can use the light and frequencies to get you know these lower life forms to to do things so there, there we are yeah and um i believe it was the pfizer vaccine the rna uh Lucif luciferous yeah had luciferous in it um which is like a light I don't know exactly how to say it, but it's to do with light. It, they, they basically, they sort of got it out of things like, you know, those glowy things under the ocean, those glowy creatures and things. Luminescent they run, type of creatures, yeah. Yeah, it's a chemical, some sort of chemical that it's just maybe a phosphate sort of base. I'm not really sure, but 
um, that was included. And I'm just wondering, you know, if they're using things like light to, as they say, pulsing light, etc., to control things, then why can't they use frequencies to control the light within the nanoparticles? Sorry, I'm a bit unscientific, but you know what I mean. Well, light and sound all exist in waves that are, generally aren't visible yeah. to the human eye at certain spectrums, so it makes sense. Sort of, yeah, interacting with whatever those particles were that got injected. So uh, I, I just wrote it in the chat, but uh, but does anybody have anything else they wanted to add to this forum before we, uh, as, as Mike puts it, wrap her up? I just wanted to say that the the gay gun was actually just a horny gun, but they only tested it on feds. <laughs> ATF. <laughs> yes, please, guys. ATF. Leave some leave leave some cum for the rest of us. You know, you're just swallowing it all. Um, I did a little bit of looking into that name, Hendrikus G. Luce, which was um, the fellow or the name that was put to a lot of these patents or a number of these patents um, going back to 60s and 70s. Oh, oh elaborate, because uh, this is something from the chats. Um, yeah, inform the audience. Yeah. Um, okay, so what we were talking about last week, I actually had it to talk about, but we didn't get there. We, we ran out of time. Um, so a lot of these patents that, with the technology that we've been talking about now um, – were accompanied under the name of, often not alone, of Hendrikus G. Luce, L-O-O-S. Um, and I, I, I just looked in, I'd never heard of any of this, but I, I just looked into it to find out who these people were that were writing these patents. And apparently it's a bit of a thing, um, a bit of a, I suppose, debate, that it's possible that that may have been a fake name uh, made up to sort of like a cover for CIA black projects, etc., um, but then on the other hand, and you know, you can't verify any of this, but on the other hand, it looks like if it was fake, somebody set it up to look like there was a real person. So, um, there's, uh, daughter's names and I've even got addresses and phone numbers actually, <laughs> but, um, I'm not going to call them. Maybe we should call them. Stella <laughs> has names and addresses. Look out. <laughs> a little black book. Um, but Originally, I just sort of went off on my own little anagram search, etc., and, and um, just for fun, as I do. Hendricus um, is an anagram of something called Rinkitis, Rinkitis, sort of Rinkitis, I'm sure it is, um, who happened to be a bishop in around about 800 AD. That didn't really go anywhere much because there's not much information on that bishop. Um, so Hendricus, it, was, it is also um, the name Hendricus G. Luce, and I find it interesting that G is the middle name. A middle initial too, but who knows? There may not be a connection with Freemasonry there. Uh, Luce, Lucifer, who knows? This is my imagination. Um, it also happens to be an anagram of source holdings, which was not my information. That was something that I read. Um, source holdings, and I looked into source holdings. I think that's a whole other rabbit hole. I just didn't have time to go <laughs> searching down there. Um, but I'm sure, you know, if there's anything worth knowing, it's not going to be readily available. Um, so it was a little bit hard to detect. Um, oh, there was another. So this this name is Hendricus G. Luce, but there happens to be a Henricus Luce, L-O-O-S, um, which was also a bishop, which I thought was interesting. Um, the 15th Bishop of Utrecht in the um, Netherlands, 
1858 was one of only two orders recognised by the Roman Catholic Church. Probably got nothing to do with it. I just thought it was kind of interesting that there was two bishops there. <laughs> so, you know, is it like, is this a code for chess? Bishop two to, you know, <laughs> something. I don't know. Chess board a good is imagination. Masonic. You got it there. You got to go back to the G. So it's a little bit inconclusive about whether this was actually a real person or not. Uh, if it was, it probably set up to look like a real person. But um, all similar technologies. And, and if he was alive today, this Hendrikus G. Lucy would be 98. Well, you either have to set yourself up with a pseudonym, Stell, or you end up falling down the stairs and falling onto two bullets that go directly into your head. So <laughs> Yeah, that's right. Yeah, kill yourself and take the head. Did you run it through an anagram? Did you find anything interesting out of that? Yeah, well, I, yeah, I did. Well, that was the Renkidus. So Hendrikus became Renkidus, which was oh. one of the bishops. And the other oh, anagram oh, that I read oh, yeah. that somebody yeah. else had done was the Source Holdings, which is a company. And it's a company that is to do with, where is it? Where is it? Uh, I might have closed it because it was sort of a little bit irrelevant. Hang on, hang on. No, I've got it here. Do, do Bloomberg. Uh, it's on the Bloomberg site, whatever that means. I don't, I'm not really familiar with what that is, but there was not a lot of information about okay. that holding company, Source Holdings Limited. So I don't know. I don't know what that meant. Interesting anagram, right. though. Well, I I think we came up with some cool stuff tonight, and uh, and I'm I so since we we started on tradition and everything, Thanksgiving's fast approaching, and um, and just to be a little sap here and say I'm really grateful for y'all, because because uh, I couldn't have done this without you, and uh, really grateful for Mike that that makes uh makes things happen all the time, so I don't have to. Uh, fumble it <laughs> but i think it turned out great and i really appreciate all of y'all for for joining in um back again to mention rose and rachel underground cotillion y'all need to check that out and uh and there will be links in the show show notes so you can join and sign up and everything like that um the drizzle and phytophiliac who were here before and let's go around the circle start with every man uh, I don't really have anything else to add. I mean, it's been really cool oh, no. just listening to everybody, but you know, um, just follow me on Twitter, dude. That's really where I hang out a lot. Um, I have, uh, uh I have a telegram, but nobody's on there, but, uh, yeah, just follow me on Twitter and, you know, get the hyperbole. Stella. Um, yep. Yeah. Uh, union Union of the Unknowns, a uh, shout out to my friend Ashley who couldn't make it tonight, or our friend, I should say, our beautiful Ashley. We uh, we did miss you because I'm sure she would have had some great input tonight, but um, she'll be back. And uh, I come from the land of uh, Oz where the turkeys are never nerv nervous because we don't have Thanksgiving here, so lucky turkeys. Um, Union of the Unknowns and occasionally the Propaganda Report with Brad Binkley. Dan. I have, as usual, nothing to plug. I'm just a friend. I will see you guys around. Thanks, Dan. Um, Stella, there is one territory within Australia that does actually celebrate Thanksgiving, and that is Norfolk Island, due to the oh. American whalers who went to that part of the world. So they celebrate it today. Um, small little wow. factoid for everyone. 
Uh, beyond that, I'm Drew Misson from Your Missing the Point podcast. You can also find me on Conspiracy Theatre 3000 and the Homeroom Educating Educators. So entertainment podcast and a educational podcast. Yeah. And may I say also, Ando, thank you for your, um, it was a little bit of a techie, stressy thing to start off with. We had a few, few teething problems because Uncle Mike wasn't here, but uh, <laughs> it's all good. We sorted I, it out. It's thanks to every man. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks to every man for coming in and saving the uh, transmission day there. And thanks, Ando, for doing the, the hosting and everything. Yeah. Oh, no. And everyone, no watch, watch out for those gay guns. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So, uh, so what I was going to mention uh, before we go is uh, I've been pondering up a, a new new forum kind of show, but it's going to be more political, and it will be with my friends here, Everyman and Dan, and uh, and it's going to be another panel show, so you might see some familiar faces and some unfamiliar faces. It's called The Helicopter View, and that's coming really soon on the same feed as all my other shows, Burn Babylon Burn is the feed. You, uh, the Doom Kitchen is my interview show, and you can find me libertylinks.io/slash the Doom Kitchen, and you can email me at the Doom Kitchen at protonmail.com. But if you're gonna search me up in one of your handy dandy podcatchers, look for Burn Babylon Burn, and uh, I should be playing music here uh, as we close it out, probably. Um, but. <laughs> I, I'm I'm not being as good as I should be. Here we go. Uh, all right, we're gonna start the little what the fucky music and uh, and get the hell out of here. Love y'all. Love you thanks for thanks for jamming with me and uh, and yeah, sorry for the uh, crappy Wi-Fi. It's been a pleasure. <laughs> thanks, mate. Great to see all you guys.